You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Nipe here with always typical Lydia today's show we're going to be doing the 2011 grindhouse homage astron 6 classic father's day it's not a classic yet it's a classic in my heart it's a classic in my heart too for sure let me tell you movies that will stand the test of time this is one of them this movie is going to be people's favorite movies and that's what i have to say about people releasing unique films is they will be someone's favorite movie. It doesn't necessarily have to do gangbusters at the box office. I know that that's how people are trained to think. People are trained to think about those first three days that are so important to a film. But in a year, do people are in a year, five years, ten years, are people going to remember the story of the first three days of a film, or are they going to just say, "Oh, I love that fucking movie." Oh, yeah, they don't care about that stuff. That matters to the people who are trying to appeal to the large studios to get free money, basically. Mm-hmm. That's who that appeals to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But there's tons of films that come out, die at the box office. I'm not even saying this died at the box office, but there's tons of films that come out, die at the box office. 20 years later, nobody remembers that. Nobody remembers that The Abyss tanked. Nobody remembers that The Thing tanked. Nobody remembers... Half the fucking movies that tanked because these movies become people's favorite movies. That's what I loved about watching movies with my mom and dad. They never paid attention to that shit. They mm. never... You couldn't ask them what a movie made at the box office. They have no fucking idea. When it had a theater run, no fucking clue. It was all about the video store. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't about what other people said was hot or what looked hot or what was being featured. They'd peruse the fucking aisles and pick something out based on box art and based on the story on the back. If they had seen this sitting in the aisles, and if I had when I was 14 years old, fucking right, I would pick up Father's Day. And to read the back, I'd be like, hell yes, Mm -hmm. I need to watch this. Where has this been all my life? And that was the feeling when I first watched this, was where has this movie been all my life? Mm -hmm. I liked Mm -hmm. it that much. I had almost no context going into this movie for the first time. I was a green cub reporter for horror journalism. Mm -hmm. I didn't know fuck all about anything. And... The reason why we're doing Father's Day is because, as you guys may or may not know, because we've been talking about it for what feels like 100 years, our 100th episode has just passed us. This is episode 101. And we decided that we were going to do Tombs of the Blind Dead, the series, all four fucking movies. What a fucking... Bad idea that turned no, out to be. No, it was an awesome idea. Longest goddamn episode ever. I was really glad we had a week off to recuperate after oh that because it was very oh hard on our systems. Yeah. And it was uh, a beast to edit. Oh, my God. All four films, four days to edit. Like, I wasn't kidding about that. Yeah, yeah. Sitting through the whole thing. And then by the end of it, I was being really anal about things because sometimes I don't like the way I talk. And so I cut things out. Towards the end of the episode, as I was getting into hour three, yeah, I, I stopped. I stopped. I I just said to myself, I can't, I can't keep stopping this recording. I have to make sure that everything's tight and that's it. I don't care anymore. I'm not gonna cut too much out anymore. And, and because again, it's just pauses and how many times I say like and you know that type of shit drives me crazy. But I'm. 
I, sometimes I just can't help it, especially when I'm tired, my speech starts to fall apart and I'm just saying like, 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 you know, like, 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 what the fuck, man, stop it, stop it. People want to know what the number one thing that you have to get used to while you're making podcasts is get used to hating the sound of your own voice and getting, and just being so fucking sick of Wes Knight's shit. So fucking sick of everything he says. Cheers. Here, here. And does. And I'm so done with it. I'm glad some people are entertained. But me, the guy that has to sit with Wes every fucking day and then also now listen to him for hours on end every week, reminding myself what a fuck nut I sound like in certain conversations. But I digress. I go through it too. You know, like if I like something very, very much. 25 times a fucking episode i say it in real life too but like i notice it when i'm editing it yeah yeah yeah. so now all our listeners will notice these things too (laughs) at any rate the next movie that we decided to do was father's day and the reason for that is is because it was one of the things that i had decided to do the first thing that i decided to do after speaking with ottawa horror after the ottawa comic-con and with that whole attitude, and I've said it before, coming into that convention, I'm smart and you're dumb and I got the fucking cure that ails you and I'm going to tell you how to do things. And I, sure enough, I went to the Ottawa Horror booth and I, and I complained about their website. I complained about their update schedule. I said, this is what you should be doing. You should be getting involved in the community, this, that, and the other thing. I met Howard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who is the, the, the founder, founder of the feast, Ottawa Horror. Yeah. Hey, Howard. Hey, Howard. Mm-hmm. And, but uh, Lydia was not there. No, he probably handed you a Father's Day handbill, though, to come and see our <laughs> next movie we're featuring at the Mayfair. Yeah, and and to be honest with you, I had moved away from going to the Mayfair. To me, the Mayfair stopped really being a place that I considered my place. And that just comes from the fact that my father did business, uh, did the, the, the accounting for that place for many, many years. And he was childhood friends and then adult friends, I guess you say, with the uh, the one of the guys that ran it named Dave. And so I spent a lot of time there. And then once I stopped spending a lot of time there because uh, Dave moved on with his business and shit, I just stopped going. I don't know. The idea of having to pay for a ticket to the Mayfair was ridiculous to me is pay for a ticket. I just go in there, pay for popcorn. They just give me popcorn. And not only that, but I had spent so much time there hosting the Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's what I did. Originally, I was supposed to be security there, but that morphed into me being the host of the Rocky Horror Picture Show because they used to have a stage production there where people would come in who would play the characters and do some dance routines, almost like a burlesque. Well, they're, they're doing um, the shadow cast still. Yeah. They do run a shadow cast. It's probably a totally different troupe. Yeah, it, it definitely is. But I... Absent Friends shadow cast that runs there. When I was do when when I had done it, no one was doing that anymore. No one was explaining the rules. And I don't like talking in front of a large group of people. You put me in front of a microphone, I'll talk all day. But you put me in front of 500 people, I have a harder time talking. But I managed to do it anyways, at any rate. And so I would get up and I would do all those things. So I have a lot of history with the Mayfair Theater, but I had gone away from it for a while. So the idea that Ottawa Horror or Zombie Info or whomever, where I met the Zombie Info people, by the way, it's just a, another, our little horror family within Ottawa. I met them at a grocery store. I was talking to somebody very loudly, like I tend to do 
about horror films and I was talking about hammer horror specifically. And the guy that I was talking to was trying to crack wise at me and say, is that horror movie starring MC hammer? And so, no, I broke it all down. And one of the zombie info people overheard me, hands me a business card. And so, and I, and I thought to myself, oh, I guess just talking loudly about horror in Ottawa. <laughs> that's the way to do it. That's, yeah, the way that's, do. The way, that's the way to do it. And I had known enough from my radio background that what you do is you just go into places and you just act like you know things. And then you just talk to people and you make connections and you do that type of shit. And so I thought that one of the ways to get more involved in the community, because it was just me as far as I was concerned, I felt so by myself. Oh, that, and that was the job of Ottawa Horror. Howard had a real interesting vision with that because he knew so many horror creators and horror fans in the city Mm -hmm. and it was like it was everyone's big fucking secret Mm -hmm. and we've had interviews like when i did an interview for ottawa horror with matt moore he's an author here in ottawa an award-winning author and he talked about it being part of the problem maybe is that it's such a corporate town and it's such a federal town there's so many people that can't talk about their personal lives at work Mm -hmm. at all they can't talk about being a horror fan because it doesn't look good on their cv Mm -hmm. what the fucking hell it's weird Maybe that's maybe that's something I shouldn't put on my CV. But either way, <laughs> like it is a weird little talent that everyone stays in their little fucking hidey holes. And that was the, the point of Ottawa Horror and uh, Kevin, the zombie king from Zombie Info. They both like put on movies and they both know a lot of horror creators in town. So they both hosted blogs and both hosted events for that exact reason, for networking reasons. And just because fans like someone to feel like a sense of community with which i'm never like i'm the worst fucking figurehead for that because i don't want a community but i understand the value of that sort of community being available for when you need it or for those who feel they need it or for people who maybe aren't as willing to participate but do have something to give absolutely and from my perspective it was always about trying to feel more legit I always wanted to feel more legit. I always wanted to do more instead of just being a blogger. Not that I had a negative opinion about that, but I just felt like I wanted to do more and not just be a blogger. And so I thought that if I were to go out and meet people within the community, which, by the way, is what I wanted to do. I wanted to meet more horror fans. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that this was a very good way to do that. I thought that, okay, so if I go to the Mayfair... And the zombie info thing is happening, then I could meet more people. And this wasn't the first time that I had really done that. I think if memory serves me, I went to go see a little bit zombie before that. Oh, cool. Okay. And and that was the first time because I know that I didn't meet you there at all. I, I didn't see you there. No. And I was there basically by myself. And I was because I knew that the director was going to be there and they were going to be fielding questions. And so I thought that it would be interesting that if I'm in Ottawa and this thing's in Ottawa and I'm a horror fan and I'm writing about horror stuff and I really wanted to emphasize stuff that was going on in not only my own city, but also in Canada, wanting to turn that lens towards that. And uh, it made sense for me to do that. And then when I had found out that Ottawa Horror was putting on this presentation of Father's Day, I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll definitely go. go and not go only that. just go, because as a blogger, journalist, someone very interested in horror and wanting to have, like, open up that lens on Canadian horror, you shot us an email. 
which was like awesome. And I had been feeling the emails at the time. So I was like, cool. Yeah, totally. I'll meet you there and we'll chit chat about your site because I think it's awesome. And yeah, Mm -hmm. so let's, let's meet up. You'll be the guy in the Dr. Five shirt. I was, I was (laughs) wearing an abominable Dr. Five shirt. You said that you were going to be wearing a patron saint of plague shirt. But the funniest thing about that is Lydia and I both live in the West end of Ottawa. And the problem with the Mayfair theater is that it is not, it is in practically Ottawa South. Yeah. And it is not easy to get to the, our bus system is great, but not in that sense. It's an hour and 20 minute walk. Mm-hmm. I like to walk it in the summer when I have nothing better to do and it's cloudy. So I don't have to worry about the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like the bus ride isn't much shorter. Really? Mm-hmm. Really? But it is a two-bus thing. So we got to take a bus to a certain spot and then take another bus. And it was in that interim where we have to wait for the second bus that I saw this guy in a vibe shirt and he saw this girl in a patron Santa plague shirt. And so I say, Lydia? And yes, it is indeed her. And my ritual that I like to do before going to the Mayfair for these very late shows was I liked to... There's a, there's a lot of pubs in and around the area and I like to grab a beer collect my thoughts if directors or actors or whomever are going to be present from the films i like to go over if i'm going to decide to feel the question or two i just want to kind of go over that what i'm going to ask but for the most part i just want to have a couple of beers and then go see this movie and so you and i talked on the bus together and then we grabbed a pint at quinn's yeah which is the closest pub it's right next door famous pub there and at the time i was into getting a couple pecoras before and they had pecoras they don't have pecoras anymore so i mostly stopped going to quinn's but and i don't drink anymore so mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. no real point for me going to quinn's unfortunately but it was the nicest quietest littlest bar that was dark dark dank it was high so back dank. chairs yeah. and shit that's classy i like that place classy for a pub yeah i like quinn's a lot a yeah. lot yeah. if they had something on the menu that i would eat but mm-hmm. i don't know we'll see if they have a steak salad someday um but yeah, it was a huge thanks to Ottawa Horror for, for putting that on. Mm-hmm. And I was the one hosting it that day. And I'm the same as Wes. I don't like getting up in front of groups of people. Um, but I've done it. Um, I There are many Ottawa Horror films that I've mm-hmm. gone up to present swag, done the contest, mm-hmm. or introduced. So that's that angle's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And this one was extra fun because my friend Dave Pace was working with Fangoria at the time. And it was a fango trauma ottawa horror mayfair theater joint yeah to bring this to the screen basically um it looked good on paper it looked good on the handbill to have all of those little oh, yeah. flags at the bottom like that that felt really good to design that that poster that handbill um and use some really cool like those alternate film posters some of the alternate film posters for father's day are really fucking cool so i really had fun doing that but then there was also this this weirdness between Fangoria and the rest of the world, which never ended. That's when the real weirdness started really happening with Fangoria. So Fangoria was like no help at all. Dave was a massive help. It was really Dave and Howard mm-hmm. that brought this to Ottawa. Like huge, huge thanks to Howard from Ottawa Horror and Dave because this wouldn't have happened otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, trauma? Trauma was trauma. Mm-hmm. We had some huge trauma fans at that screening, though. Afterward, I stopped outside to take photos of the guys that had won some of the contests, and they were yeah. huge trauma fans. So there was yeah. a lot of trauma fans that made this a super fun night, but trauma mm-hmm. did nothing, really. Yeah. But if you want to read more about the 
the saga of Choma and Father's Day and a lot of kind of behind the scenes thinking about producing a film like this, mm-hmm. you can go to Dave's site at psychotronicandadaleforliving.com. I'll put the link to that up on Twitter mm-hmm. and slash happy Father's Day. Or you can search Father's Day Dave Pace and read a really cool interview mm-hmm. that I didn't think had seen the light of day. Because um, I've, I've read it a couple times, but it is available online, even though Fangoria took a lot of their writing down and a lot of Dave's writing down. So you can still get that, that amazing interview. Mm-hmm. I think it's amazing. And it sheds a lot of light on making this film and the budget that wasn't there and the barriers that they encountered continuously dealing with the cities that they filmed in. But yeah, it would have seemed that Fangoria and Trauma had a hand in promoting this event, which was largely untrue. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, cool word of mouth. But we'd encountered that. Between this and the Human Centipede, those were my fucking all-time favorite events that Howard put on throughout Ottawa Horror. Mm-hmm. Really amazing screenings, really wonderful turnouts, and really just a, a huge fun for a horror fan to see these movies on the screen. So, yeah. Were you the Human Centipede one? When was at the Mayfair? No, I was uh, not. I wasn't at the Human Centipede one, unfortunately. Uh, so cool. <laughs> I definitely really enjoyed that night. And when for me, personally speaking, that was a watershed moment for me because I really felt like part of something. I felt like the thing that I wanted to do was meet more people in Ottawa who are horror fans, go out and do things that were horror related as opposed to just sitting in my well, basement, uh, sitting in my apartment at the time and watching these things by myself, writing, feeling alone and in a vacuum. I'm a, I'm a social person. I don't like to have that. And honestly, the, it was my friend who really, uh, uh, Scott, Scott's Horror Corner, who is a massive professional wrestling fan. And he had a, a blog, uh, a, a really, really good blog. I wish he would go back to it or something because the guy is such a talented writer and he's fucking hilarious and really can make you care about that. I've never really cared about professional wrestling, but he makes you care. But he was hanging out with these guys and I and I said, man, who are these people that just came out of the woodwork that are, are your wrestling friends? Good guys. I liked them. And he, what he literally told me that he did was he had an extra ticket to indie wrestling in Ottawa and he put a fucking thing out on Craigslist. And then he became friends with these guys. And so that was really the nug of me thinking, what if there's people like that in Ottawa for horror? What if I were to just Google Ottawa comma horror? Yeah, which is exactly how I found it too, because I was taking journalism and wanted to write and we were urged to write about the things happening around the city. And I'm like, I don't really want to write about anything but horror. So that's how I fluked into that entirely. But it is a lot like the gay experience to a certain extent where, you know, you don't know where to find anyone. You feel very, very alone and you're not going to find anyone to date, let alone talk to about your experience. Um, And this is like an older experience too. This is like 20 years ago where you feel a little more trapped or in a smaller town where you feel a little more trapped. But then you go to the bathhouse and, and you see the guy that delivered you pizza last week. So you start to establish even a sense of community, whether you're involving yourself in it mm-hmm. or not. And horror is like that. When you go to a horror screening at the Mayfair, you're definitely going to see people from Zombie Info, people from Ottawa Horror. You're going to see filmmakers. There's You'll see Nikolai from Carnival Diablo sitting there. I've seen Brett Kelly sitting there watching films. I've seen Adrian Langley sitting there watching films. 
just hanging out, being a horror fan. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. But if you're if you know who you're looking at, there are a, an amazing cross section of horror creators, let alone fans, because you're gonna walk in there and be like, hey, there's that girl that works at the comic shop, or hey, here's, there's that guy that works down at the Dominion, mm-hmm. like. You're definitely going to have that sense of community just walking in there, whether you talk to anyone or not. Yeah, and everyone just kind of knows each other. And for me personally, going to the Mayfair Theater, really, I did feel ridiculous after staying away from it for so long. Too many memories. Oh, whatever. You're way too fucking sentimental. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad thing. When I went back, even when I go, even when I went to go see The Void the other day, I I go there and it's the smell. My sense memory is flooded and I get nostalgic and I love the place. I love that building so much. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's a good thing, especially since so much has changed and my dad's gone now. And so when you go there, for me, it is really, really a, a warm, fuzzy feeling. And then also seeing really cool movies when we, went to, when we went to go see Father's Day. And when I sat down, really what Father's Day is, what it really is, is the perfect film for the Mayfair to, to, to shoot. Back in those days, the Mayfair used to do double features all the time and yeah. used to what is the grindhouse format, especially when Dave was running the place. But they, they still stuck with it for a little while. Now they don't really do that so much, but they used to. It doesn't fill the seats the way that and it probably didn't then either. It just doesn't fill the seats with most film houses need to mm-hmm. fill the seats. Like and yeah. that's why so many theaters don't do uh, horror double features at night. I, I wish that they still did. I, I I really wish it too because honestly, I I don't know if it's because Father's Day was the first time that I went where I met you and I met a whole bunch of people that um that I still see to this day and I felt part of a community and it was a big moment for me and for us because that's what started us on this path of having this podcast. Mm-hmm. But it, it is, it kind of is the best and my favorite experience of going to the Mayfair for these horror films. And I've been to lots that have been presented by Ottawa horror or zombie info or whomever, but this is still my favorite. I think the overall experience. Oh yeah. It was, it was crazy fun. It is one of my favorites for sure. And it's just one of my favorite experiences of getting to see a horror film. Cause it's one thing to go to the theater and see the crazies. Mm-hmm. I went and saw the crazies remake. We were given screeners through Ottawa horror, which was really cool, but that was like a normal theater. Mm-hmm. It was surrounded by normies and a bunch <laughs> of radio people. So like it wasn't that fun. <laughs> it was cool to see the crazies. <laughs> it was a great remake. I enjoyed it quite a lot. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. But it wasn't the same as going to the Mayfair to see anything. Mm-hmm. Or I've gone to see some indie stuff, the um, Last Will and Testament of Rosalind Lee. Mm-hmm. I went to see that through Raven Banner at a theater. And sure, it was a big normal theater, but it was a very quiet screening as a press screening during Ottawa Comic Con. So it wasn't like huge packed and it was packed with like horror fans and horror journalists only. Um, but it still wasn't quite as fun as going to the Mayfair yeah. and getting to see something like fucking Father's Day mm-hmm. grace the screen in all its grimy glory yeah. is perfect for the fucking Mayfair. Mm-hmm. I've even seen other homages to Grindhouse Cinema like Machete Kills. I saw that as at a press screener. I saw, but again, it was in... It was at the Coliseum. It was at yeah. Cineplex Odeon, right? Exactly. It, it sucks a little bit of the fun out of it. Mm-hmm. Just when you remember where you are, but you're sitting there in the Mayfair remembering where you are, and it fits. It all fucking fits. Yeah, the Mayfair being built in the 1930s, 
when there was a cinematic boom. Theaters were propping up all over the place, especially in the United States. And larger parts of things like horror films, Frankenstein and, and The Wolfman and The Mummy, those are all making movie theaters a huge draw for people. Prices went down and people could start going more regularly. The theater didn't s- stop being something that very wealthy people could do. Everyone could do it. And the demand created theaters. But as time marches on and television gets created and all of these theaters have to change their format. Now, it used to be what you would do, the uh, the thought process was you just continuously show films. You start one, then you, well, that one's over and you do another one and you do another one forever. Almost like you're on a grind. Yeah. A like grind. Grinding out these films gr- in the house. In a house. <laughs> so the term grindhouse comes from that. And then in the 1970s where that business model just started to erode past the point of being able to sustain itself. A lot of these old-timey theaters closed down, turned into something else. And the ones that remained open tried to draw people in by showing things that were not getting shown on television. So slashers and exploitation films and dubbed Hong Kong uh, martial art action pieces that's why this is called the home of theater you won't see anywhere else. Mm-hmm. It's like the tagline of the Mayfair. And exactly. That's why like some of these grand old ladies, as they say, have survived because there are like fans, closet fans sometimes. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people don't understand what is being screened at these theaters, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, back in the 70s, they were even there was uh, some of these theaters became <laughs> pornography theaters yeah. because that's what would get people in the doors. But by the 1980s, you had another competitor. You had all of this juicy grindhouse cinema getting put on these VHS tapes. And then people could now watch all these films that you can't get anywhere else in their homes. And by the 90s, most of these theaters had gone away with few exceptions. I mean, some there were, there were holdouts. New York City had the famed 42nd Street Grindhouse Theaters. There were still theaters in Times Square. But as... New York became more gentrified and they just couldn't sustain themselves. So they all disappeared. But then all of a sudden, and then basically grindhouse movies went away. You could get them on VHS and sometimes you could get them on late night TV. It might, maybe if you're lucky at 3 a.m., they'll play fucking faster pussycat kill kill or something like that. Then in 2007, Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino, which in, in a book that Adam, Rock, Adam Rockoff wrote said it so perfectly, he had an idea so good it couldn't possibly work in that they did a double feature and they called it Grindhouse and it was Planet Terror and it was Death Proof, bombed at the box office. And so Miramax tried to aggregate their costs by splitting the films up and just showing them separately. And then when eventually things came on Blu-ray, they had um, two... Um, separate releases, but then they put it for a special edition back the way it was initially supposed to be. And by the way, they also had a bunch of weird trailers and all kinds of extra shit that came. It was the grindhouse experience. Yeah. And I suppose for the general masses, it was difficult to try to educate people about what that even really fucking meant. And so these marathon movie sittings weren't working for people. I think the, the bottom line is that it didn't matter if they understood what they were watching at all. They got to see, you know, guns and blood and, and roughness and and sort of emulate that experience whether they knew what it was or not. So it didn't even matter. Um, But asking people to sit through two movies with fake trailers 
just didn't make a lot of sense to people at all. Even though if they would enjoy one of the two movies, mm-hmm. that didn't seem to matter. But it did pick up really, really well in the rental because there was a lot yes. of people waiting to rent it because they didn't want to go to the theater yes. to see that. Yes. And from that sprung, I mean, these trailers sprung movies. That's where you got Hobo with a shotgun. That's where you got Machete and its sequel, Machete Kills. And other films coming out, you you had mentioned Headless when we were talking about other grind movies. that, And the idea was you make these movies and then you slap shit over top of them to make them look aged. And you make them in the same style as those grindhouse exploitation pictures back in the day. Yeah, yay for After Effects filters. Although in the Father's Day, I'd like to think, because it looks, I swear to God, there's actual pubic hair in their dust and scratches filter as it were so i think that it's completely custom <laughs> it's got to be completely custom but like yeah they, you can see it in short youtubes and vimeos where people will do homage to splatter and grindhouse films or they basically just use the dust and scratches filter from after effects mm-hmm. so along comes father's day and Really, what Father's Day is, is an extremely clever homage to this type of filmmaking. And I think that if someone were to watch Father's Day, one of the things that I would preface the whole experience with is you've never seen anything like it. And well, it depends. Yeah, you've probably seen hundreds of films like it. If you've watched like Miss 45 or any of the older, if you've watched um, Bessie Moi. You've I'm talking I'm like, talking about the general public. Oh, right? those regular people. Yeah. I don't know if I'd ask them to watch something like this. It was reviewed on CBC Winnipeg, which shocked me that CBC even gave a passing mention to this. That CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, actually admitted to have watched Father's Day on mm-hmm. air, which I think is really awesome. And they had even said that it's not for everybody. That's for sure. Really great film. Just not for everybody. Mm-hmm. And these cats, Astron 6, seem to be incapable of failure in terms of horror fans and exploitation fans. And incapable of failure when it comes to an homage because they pull this off brilliantly. And the editor is um, jello-flavored, very jello-flavored, yeah. um, that they do pull off brilliantly. Now they've got The Void, which mm-hmm. I, I hate saying, like, it's it's a... Uh, it's a throwback to the thing and it's a throwback to these older like Cronenbergian films and things like that. It is for sure, but it's so entirely, utterly its own thing and so amazingly wrought that it seems like a disservice to say that it's a throwback to or an homage to. Well, everyone is influenced by somebody. I think that what the Astron six guys do quite expertly is wear their fandom on their sleeves and okay. say, we can make this too. Fuck it. I like, I like Hellraiser. I like the thing I like in the mouth of madness. No one's really done a movie like this in a long time. Fuck it. We're doing it too. The same thing with these grind grindhouse films. They see other people doing it and they say, yeah, that looks fun. I want to do that. I like those movies too. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think that the more blatant they are with it, I think the better the result. And what I think the void proved was, hey, we can do this as serious as a heart attack too. Don't oh think God. don't think that we need to crack wise and do jokes. If the if the genre needs that, if the film needs that, we'll put that in. But we can also do a very serious horror film too. Oh and- yeah, and you can see the genesis of their production and their their filmmaking skills going from Manborg 
to Father's Day, to the editor, to the void. Um, you can see just how they've evolved and how their ideas have come to the screen quite expertly. Mm-hmm. And they're all just impeccable filmmakers, great mm-hmm. writers, really good actors too, actually. Mm-hmm. And I think even though a lot of times it seems that they have to act in their own movies because they have no goddamn fucking money, but they're fine actors, thank God. So they can really do it all at once. From, for all of those films, except The Void, there's, they're not really in The Void like they are, and there's only the two of them involved. But like, I still think of it as an Astron 6 picture. The, um, when, we're, when we're talking about what Father's Day is about, because <laughs> it's a weird... I've, I've, usually dis- I've usually tried to describe it, because I like to, pe- I like to see people's reactions when I describe the twists and turns that this film takes. Because <laughs> how it starts is weird enough as it is and how it ends is so infinitely stranger but it somehow all works cohesively but it doesn't seem to work when you're just describing it oh you're describing it you sound like a crazy person yeah it's like a much bigger story than what their budget would allow yeah and describing it might almost paint a whole different picture in someone's mind as to where this goes and what sort of things are going to end up seeing on the screen. Mm -hmm. I guess you'd have to almost skip over what you're treated to in the first 10 minutes of the film Mm -hmm. because you'd probably scare a lot of fucking people away. But that's how people describe high tension. You know, they start with that scene of the fucking decapitated head blowjob, which who doesn't like a decapitated head blowjob, but that becomes like the thing that people go to first. Mm -hmm. Or human centipede, that people are going to describe it as people being asked to mouth even though that's not really what the movie's about. And even more so in the case of High Tension, that's not really what the fucking movie's about. But that's what sticks in people's head. So if you're trying to describe this, being a fan and understanding what they're doing and loving this movie for what it is and loving every line of this fucking movie, like you're going to describe it in a whole different way than somebody who doesn't really get it because then they're going to be like, some guy bites another guy's dick off. True. And boil it right down to that. Yeah, I think how people watch films like this that have graphic content, it really depends what they what they can handle and what they're used to handling and also the types of movies that they watched previously. You know, when we were watching The Void, one thing that stuck out when watching a movie in a theater with you is you always have to be careful of the landmines that are in the theater with you. And by landmines, I mean other people. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was those guys talking behind us, right? And I became agitated only because I could feel your agitation. But in my head, I was saying, she'll be fine. She'll be fine because they'll, they'll shut up. And I knew that they'd shut up eventually because what will happen is they're doing their jock jams intro to the movie, right? Where they're just talking about maybe how silly they feel it is or they're talking about something, whatever the fuck. They're talking about protein. And then the first fucked up thing that happens in this movie they're going to have a weird reaction to it and they'll talk and say something about that, alleviate this weird tension that they're feeling. But the second another fucked up thing happens that is largely going to be worse than the last fucked up thing that happens, it's they'll, shut, they'll, they'll, right they'll shut up. And then I was just... waiting for it, but I was hoping that they would just fucking respect other people in the goddamn theater. And I did turn around and shush them. You did. Because the next thing I was going to do is ask them for my money back. 
mm-hmm. and say like, I'm not leaving. I'm staying here to watch a movie, but I would like my money back from you two, not the theater. It's not the theater's fault. It's you two. Mm. You two ruined my fucking day. But <laughs> like you said, yeah, I was waiting for the first fucked up thing that would shut them up. And if it didn't, then mm-hmm. I was definitely going to have some words with them because I'm there to fucking enjoy the movie. And they were sitting right behind us. Oh, yeah, I will God. say that even for my loosey-goosey attitude towards theater going i generally speaking sit if there is a if there is a way for me to sit all the way in the back where there's no where it's a wall behind me yeah that's typically what i like because for some reason if you're talking to me this way on my left or my right i don't care if you're talking to me in front of me i don't care but there's something about being right behind me where you're talking where i get very i even will get agitated but i knew that they were going to shut up but my point being with father's day is you start up you start off with a dismembering of a body you start off with having a headless corpse blowing the guy it's this fat disgusting dude he's straight up fucking throat fucking uh decapitated head yeah, and we've and and we've seen that before in like Headless and 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 films like that. Although this movie's before Headless, yeah. Oh yes. Yeah, for sure. So that that in itself should get everyone to shut up. But here's the thing that I didn't realize when I sat down to watch this movie initially in the theaters all those years ago, 2012, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, because it would have been right after it came out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was sometime in it was around Father's Day. Yeah, it would have been around yeah. Father's Day. And I sat down to watch this film. I did not realize how fucking hilarious this movie was. No idea. I didn't I didn't do any real research. I just thought I want my authentic experience. I don't want to read a review. I don't want to do anything. I just want to come in here and watch this movie. To me it was more about the outing. It was more about yeah. going out and seeing Ottawa Horror and and seeing the giveaways and meeting you. That's what I was more focused on. I wasn't really the the the, the movie was the excuse to get out. And but when I sat down and it wasn't until the character of Ahab showed up that I really started to get it, you know? The, the fucking lines that this guy has are hilarious. They're so fucking funny, but subtle. It's not hitting a gong, look at the camera, here's my joke. It's blink and you'll miss half of these fucking lines. Even if they're like things that have to do with the storyline too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, did you really get a girl pregnant? Blink and you'll miss it. Or get like distracted by the mm-hmm. like throat gnawing gore that's going on mm-hmm. under a red and black light. Like it's craziness. Yeah. Uh, instant craziness a second after... Uh, a fairly important line that actually explains why the next scene is happening. Yeah. And there's like yeah. a smash cut between these two things. Even even Father John coming to that cabin in the middle of nowhere and the instant thing out of Ahab's mouth is this asinine story about wolves being blind and that they use their hearing and him just saying, I, I don't think any of that's true. And then him not now Ahab doesn't want to help him because you, you embarrass me. Yeah. The fuck, that's funny. And then, that's not a maple tree. What the hell have I been tapping? (laughs) It was definitely a spruce tree. Uh, It is super hilarious. Super hilarious. So fucking good. And of course, if you're if you're gonna pass off all of the Surat references as asinine, then you're not gonna know what hit you by the end of this, or you're not gonna know what hit the villain by the end of this, because if you're not if you're not totally bought and sold into this very important crystallization mm-hmm. of 
how important syrup is to this story, <laughs> then you're going to, you might walk out of this thinking, well, that was fucking stupid. I don't know what the fuck I just saw. Mm-hmm. And that's the one line I hate when anyone, that anyone attributes to any film is I don't know what I just saw. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I guess you weren't paying fucking attention. Then. That, 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 um, the, the thing, the, the sentence of watching a film that drives me the craziest is when someone says, I just want to turn my brain off and watch a movie. No, don't turn your brain off. That's a doing a disservice to these fucking movies. Keep your brain on. You can't even turn your brain off and watch Invader Zim properly. <laughs> exactly. I don't believe in mindless crap unless it's reality TV. That's mindless people crap. People will watch Father's Day and treat it like mindless crap. And I don't really want anything to do with those people. Mm-hmm. Like those guys were sitting behind us in the void. Mm-hmm. Fuck, fuck them guys. I hope, I hope that they walked out of that going, well, I don't know what the fuck I just saw. Yeah, I really was looking to turn my brain off and just watch a movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. but it is a wonderful genesis to be able to go from Father's Day to the editor, and to see Stephen Kostansky's effects work because the Void has got it in spades, and Father's Day has got a lot of really awesome blood and guts too, and creature effects at that. Yeah, I for- I always forget that there are creature effects in Father's Day. I know for the most part what the Astron 6 guys seem to be doing is they seem to be taking a movie, whether it be Manborg, whether it be the editor, whether it's Father's Day, whether it's The Void. They seem to be taking very hyper-focused genres, sub-genres within horror or exploitation or whatever, and saying, we want to make one of these. They are very consciously saying, I'm making a Grindhouse movie. I'm making a sci-fi movie. I'm making a body horror film that you'd see in the 1980s. I'm making a Jalo. Mm-hmm. Each one of the... And so, to me, it always gets me wondering, what's next? Yeah, right? I, what are they going to make next? I would love to see them make a video game. Oh, my God. Every time yeah. I watch any Astron 6 film or Astron 6 involved film like The Void, I just want to see them fucking make a video game. I mm-hmm. wish that someone would just dump a fucking truckload of money off and they don't beeline to the obvious because if i was in their position i would say well let's make a slasher mm. and right and and a lot of people do that we see tons of and and that's not to denigrate anybody that makes these uh, slasher revival films crumb skull and hatchet etc but what i'm saying is is that they seem to be doing just fine without just doing what I would consider the most obvious thing. So they don't be lying to the obvious. I didn't even, you don't even think of, yeah, Jello. Yeah. What would that look like if you were to make one now and try to make it feel like it's being made in the 1970s? Well, Chris Alexander's trying to with Black Glove Killer. And I don't know when that's going to be out or if it'll be any good, but that's exactly what he's trying to do. Mm -hmm. Who knows? We have the editor which is very influenced by Jello. I wouldn't call it a Jello, but it's got yeah, all yeah, yeah. Of the you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only thing that really captures late night TV the way Astron Six does is that ugly furniture commercial on YouTube that I love so much. <laughs> you know, everyone else does really try. I'm going to say try and fail because a lot of the times I don't watch these things, but it's just not. It wasn't interesting to me. It, it, like sentimentality, remembering the '80s, all those things aren't interesting to me. Astron 6 for me, though, does make it super interesting. Like, Grindhouse was an interesting film. Interesting films, plural. But it didn't really, like, it's not my favorite films. I don't own Planet Terror. I don't own Death Roof. I don't own Machete or Hobo with a Shotgun. They were interesting, but not, like, 
like uh, all of the really rabid fan base that those movies have is kind of lost on me. Uh, Headless is very interesting. I do own Headless, of course. Chris had sent me along a copy, which is awesome and thankful, but it's one of those films that not a lot of people could appreciate. Not only because it's ultra fucking gory, like really beyond anything like in, in Father's Day. I or can any of those smell other films. that movie. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> the body pit in that is second to none as far as body pits go. Um, Lake Nowhere is another one that's not very popular, super mm-hmm. indie film that is a real throwback. And I think they probably use that fake film grain like a lot of these films do. But it's not like something that I'm looking for in a genre where there are people that would have watched Hope with a Shotgun and be like, give me more of that. I want to see things with fake film grain and the the bad edits. And I want to see things with this sort of dialogue. I want to see something that would have been in a grindhouse situation, even though it's usually a lot better than any movie shown in a grindhouse. Like all those movies do this with style for sure and have fans out there. But Father's Day is really one of the only ones that I can really stomach and really, really like. Like, actually, I'm a little bit of that rabid fangirl over. Yeah, to me, I hadn't watched this film since we saw it in the theaters. I bought this film on Blu-ray for very cheap, but I got it at a convention. And I never cracked it. And not that I didn't want to watch it, because I definitely thought to myself, I definitely want to own this movie. But I just never got around to it. And then when when we suggested doing, or you suggested doing it for the show, I definitely thought that I was definitely really happy to because I definitely wanted to watch it again. And of course, I watched it again with you just now, and it's just as good as I remember. But Lydia, what is this fucking movie about anyways? What is this movie even about? It's about the first 10 minutes where we get anal rape and a decapitated head blowjob. And that's it. Credits. Cute, really kind of sexist Zulu swizzle sticks that an ex of mine actually used to have. I love seeing things that I actually owned or do own in horror films. Mm. It's like when I watch old episodes of You Afraid of the Dark and every kid looks like they were dressed at Sears from the early 90s. I used to have a lot of those clothes. (laughs) What is this movie even about anyway? It's about the Fuckman. It's about Chris Fuckman. (laughs) He is is basically a demon. He's a man that has been dead for 30 years that comes back um, to kill fathers. It's so fucking specific and weird. But one of the great things about this absurd dialogue, absurd dialogue about he only kills fathers and we have to get fuckmen and we have to avenge the death of my father that was raped and burned alive in front of me is everyone delivers this line deadpan serious. No one is winking at the camera and they really are treating it as serious as possible, even though everything around them is absurd. But we're introduced to an, an eye-patch-wearing character named Ahab that says, Happy Father's Day. Well, he blows some dude's head off. Lovely. Too bad it wasn't the actual fuckman. He was kind of set up. He was supposed to... He thought he was killing Chris Fuckman, who had killed his father in front of him. Mm-hmm. And we learn later that that's why he has an eye patch because he had his eye cut. Yeah, with a box cutter. Yeah. Pretty, pretty vile. Pretty vile. Oh, yeah. Man... If you guys are screaming, if you guys don't like gore, do not. Don't come oh, you'll find that out in the first 10 minutes, too, oh, yeah. man. Because there are guts absolutely everywhere and violent rape and violent fucking decapitated head shit. You'll see somebody actually puke their guts out, which I've mm-hmm. always wanted to know what that looked like. And they do a good job of that. I mean, there's tons of dick trauma. There's tons of stuff that you don't, that sometimes people just shy away from. Mm-hmm. The dick trauma. And that was the one thing. This is a really good example 
of a time where I turned off the reviews and just didn't read any public reaction because a lot of people, not not fans that get it, and I hate saying that because it sounds so fucking elitist. And it does. It's not yeah. really what I mean. I know. But yeah. Um, Sometimes were, it's hard to say it any other way. I, I know. I, what I need is more words. But people that were really turned off by the dick trauma and saying things like, I didn't come to a movie to see dicks, or I didn't know there was so much dicks in this movie, or like, why is this, why is this movie so gay? Which is just fucking vile. It is fucking vile, especially from the point of view of any horror fan that's like, yeah, well, we've had chicks in exact same, if not worse, situations over yeah. and over in thousands and thousands. But it of goes films. to show you how it's 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 it goes to show you how oh you look at lesbians and and the majority of people oh yeah that's so hot and then but you see two men kissing and they're oh that's gay yeah it's right? horrible. and there was a lot of reaction like that and it's like i i'm sorry those people accidentally saw father's day the bastards yeah i didn't didn't mean to your sage little world to fall apart where men kiss each other and sometimes bad things happen to dicks yeah and saying things like oh it was okay except that there was a lot of dicks yuck yeah and thank god there was a, a couple titties yum and it's like wow what the fuck is wrong with you people? i know yeah. it, to me it, it that is where i have a complete disconnect with people because i think that it should be equal opportunity exploitation if you are going to do it and you have just as much male nudity as you do female nudity in this film and yes sorry the fuck man is fucking a man he he rapes and kills fathers and not necessarily in that order and for a pretty balanced individual, it, you don't sit there thinking like, oh, yay, it's such a feminist thing because we're finally seeing men torn apart. And you're not thinking like, ew, there's so much dicks in this or ew, they shouldn't have had any titties because I came here for all the dick trauma. Yeah. Like, so you're, you're not really thinking like that. You're just simply fucking enjoying yeah. a really wonderfully written story about a really unique villain that yeah. kills fathers. I think that's really cool. So... If you're not bringing all the sociopolitical fucking baggage into the theater with you, mm -hmm. you can at least enjoy it. I yeah. enjoy it immensely. So I stopped reading those people's reactions. So there was a lot of people that were really getting angry and taking a lot of those reactions to heart. And it was sort of tough to see for me in a way. Right. It really, it really does seem sad to me. And it really does give the impression that people don't get the point of of things uh, that what father's day presents us is an unapologetic everything's on the table everything that could possibly offend you is on the table and that in itself makes things not offensive in my opinion because mm -hmm. they're saying either it's all okay or none of it's okay and we're saying it's all okay it's all present yeah and and that's what i dig about it an unapologetic tour de force of sleaze which is what grindhouse should be yeah and it shouldn't always just be the the male lens of naked chicks are hot and dudes if you see their dick it's gay i'm like well and girls get raped men don't get raped what the hell is this yeah exactly yeah, which, so so you need to have all of this stuff present and again if you're gonna have a killer that's the father's day killer that only kills fathers and rapes and kills them it doesn't really make any sense for you to do anything else if this is the reality that you have crafted yeah. for your film 
I haven't watched CSI or any of those cop shows in a long time, but I'm wondering if there has been a sea change as far as them always portraying women as being rape victims, if they've injected storylines where it's really equal opportunity destruction. I have no idea, but because uh, I just don't, I don't have cable, so I don't have access to those yeah, shows. Because that was my first argument that comes to mind that I never actually posited because I don't want to talk to these people online that are closed-minded like that, but if... They're turned off by really one of the only films that deals a lot extensively with very gory male rape. Like, if you need female rape in your life, you can go and watch, like, primetime television. Mm -hmm. It's there every half hour or so. So you've Mm -hmm. got plenty of it. Um, So, yeah, it was was really refreshing. And it was refreshing to have male nudity that wasn't, like, uh, Vin Diesel in his oiled glory. You know, it was just straight up But you never get to see Vin Diesel's dick. Well, you get to see other people's dicks in this movie. Yeah, I didn't mean like full frontal oh, okay, dick okay, nudity, okay, okay. like cock nudity specifically. Okay, but okay, okay. Any nudity really counts. Like, there's a lot of nudity, quote unquote, of women that is really just topless women. Mm-hmm. People treat it like they just got a blowjob. Yeah. So I always used to say that to people where they would tell me about, oh, I just watched this film and so and so was so hot. And I'd say, I'd say how is that enough? For a 30-year-old man where you you saw three quarters of someone's nipple and that is all you can talk about. It's sad to me. But like that, Mila Jovovich. That's I don't think they really could name any of her films, but they've seen them all. <laughs> yeah. But poor anyways, girl, that's that's neither here nor there. What we have here is a, a classic revenge story. You have a killer that has been operating for years. The police can't find him. People have been tracking him down. And we have a, a priest named Father John who is sent on this mission by an old blind priest. Yeah, Father O'Flynn. Yeah. Father O'Flynn had raised Ahab yeah. after Ahab's mother and father were killed. The father mm. by the fuckman. I don't think they say how the mother died. But no, they don't. The mother and father died, leaving Ahab and his sister Chelsea to be separated she went off to live in an orphanage with nuns and he was raised apparently by father orflin but we find out later that he actually traveled to get a apprenticeship in martial arts training yeah i think that maybe he was raised by the priest and then that martial art guy was somebody at the y that he used to go to <laughs> <laughs> oh so he didn't go and pull like this whole learning the five finger death no he didn't thing. go to the deepest darkest corners of the orient no, he just he went in tibet in a monastery learning. yeah yeah he was it was a strip mall dojo <laughs> okay that makes more sense to me especially with the rice paper backdrop <laughs> right and trained trained in martial arts to eventually get revenge on this killer the father's day killer but as we learn he Got the wrong guy. He killed someone that he thought was the fuckman, but yeah, was Bill not. Cummings. Bill Cummings. Poor yeah. Bill Cummings. That's what he gets for looking like a mashed potato man. It's true. Now he was Bill Goings. Yeah. To the funny. afterlife. <laughs> Goings to the afterlife. Oh, he's coming back. He is. He is. But I, I, so Father uh, John is sent on this mission in this fucking hilarious. The best travel montage ever. It was like, well, where is he? Where can I find him? He's far away. And so I guess he just goes far away he just and tra- finds him. Traveling over mountains, through streams, Arctic tundras. He has this big beard. He's in tattered rags. And he basically, I think he just found him in some sort of sugar shack outside of North <laughs> Bay, Ontario. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we're introduced to this Ahab, this reluctant. And I loved so much that you have 
this character, this archetype of Ahab from Moby Dick, and then you later on attribute that archetype name to other characters like a Dr. Loomis. Snake Plissken. Snake yeah, sure. And, and whoever is the, the person obsessed with revenge for our killer or whatever mutant monster, however you want to have them, they always call them the Ahab character. Yeah, so we just call them Ahab. Yeah, just call him Ahab. Do away with all of that. We'll just yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no artifice, no illusion. Just call him. He's Ahab, and he's got the uh, the mustache. He's got the the eye patch, the grizzled beard, this crazy fucking sting from Dune hair. It's great. He and he, the the comedy comes from the subtle delivery of his lines, where he is portraying this steely eyed badass Snake Plissken type character. Except he's clearly an idiot who... Oh, he's totally an idiot. Who, who's saying things that don't really make any sense. Or even things that do make perfect sense that are put so abruptly on Front Street, as you would put it, when he turns to the fucking cop and he sees, like, a big pentagram on the wall. And he's like, what? Is Fuckman some sort of Satanist now? And the cop doesn't even answer him, which is like... You and I both know that Chris Fuckman's been dead for 30 years. And it's like, <laughs> these lines shouldn't really go together, or there should be something in between them, but they're delivered, like, without that wink to the camera. So all of his lines, no matter how obtuse he is of a character on paper, he does a brilliant job. And I think the jacket helps. You know what? Ahab could say fucking anything. He has an eye patch and a jacket. Oh, yeah. I'm oh, there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And... And, and and he's not the only character that, that we meet because we also are introduced to the character of Twink, one of my favorite characters. Yeah, Twink is absolutely enchanting. Mm, Twink is is a, a teen prostitute, basically. No, he works at a, at, a, at a pizza stand that sells pop, too. Well, I don't know because when he's describing to the, to the fact that he works at a pizza and pop stand, they cut to him with his buddy Walnut. And his pimp, basically. His pimp Walnut, yeah. who's also his boyfriend, I guess. So I don't. It's I don't. I'm not sure. No, I think they're just pals. But he does like profess his love to him later on in hell. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We are getting ahead of ourselves when our characters go to hell. But what we basically see is they're kind of running a screw job in more ways than one. Because what it is is. Uh, twink will blow you and then snatch your wallet and if everything goes to pass then you get your blowy but you also get robbed and we see that walnut is also not gonna take shit idly he's a pretty tough dude that will beat you near to death with a pipe if you cross him as we see one of their marks gets that end of the business uh, pretty early on in the film we also know that twink himself has a very strained relationship with his father it doesn't seem to be so much that twink is having homosexual relations because the father even himself says I've experimented when I was younger but but of course that also alludes to the fact that you'll get over this but um yeah. which is a damaging thing to say to anyone but also the fact that twink seems to be found with dead bodies and seems to be get pulled into to jail all the time but what the fuck is happening with this kid's life and then that all comes to a head when twink's father himself becomes victim of the father's day killer yeah, not only raped and killed, burnt alive, mm-hmm. and Twink is coming home at the time that his father's burning body is running out. Now, you'll see if you read in the uh, interview that Dave Pace conducts with members of Astron 6, yeah. that they didn't have a lot of protection <laughs> for these stunts, like, at all. And mm-hmm. this isn't even, I think, the most dangerous one. Um, like, it is dangerous. It's yes, up there, Don't get yeah. me wrong. But later on, we'll talk yeah, about what I, I think I, is the I know, most dangerous I know the one you're stunt. talking about, yeah. Yeah. But, like, 
It, it sheds a whole new light as the fire sheds a light in the backyard when Twink is coming home. From <laughs> waka waka. This. Yeah. <laughs> and it's devastating. Twink goes through a lot. Not only does he have to witness that, he gets browbeaten by the police who smacks him on the ass like he's a fucking trollop. Like, I am already angry about life for Twink at this mm-hmm, point. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, kind of, you know, I'm getting a little too deep into it because at a surface level, it's just hilarious. But also the police officer's interaction with him implies, what is he, angry at Twink and giving him shit for being a prostitute? But what's that about? What's their relationship like? Yeah. Has he ever sampled? Has he ever, you know what I mean? To get Twink out of jail a little or because... Which is later. Stiegel, actually, when Mark gets killed at the end, because I'm jumping way, way, way to the end, he starts petting his partner's corpse and saying, yeah. you're so beautiful. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. So you, right? Some so latent homosexuality. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of that in our film, which I think is is a strength in this film. Well, honestly. like Walnut. He's such a tiny little character. But if we crack that walnut, we find a gay man in its interior because mm-hmm. sure he's been fucking other chicks and knocking up bitches, as he would put it, because mm-hmm. he's such a crass individual. Yeah. But he does have deep feelings for Twink, whether he's pimping him out or not. Mm-hmm. But he's kind of like teetering between the closet and the down low. Right mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. which I think is is something that's it, uh, that's a, that's true for a lot of characters in this film. Yeah, a lot of these characters in this film seem to have what would be considered on the surface taboo interests, like um, what is it when brothers and sisters have sex? Incest, like incest, like incest. Yeah, which we'll get to. <laughs> <laughs> but when so so Twink now we find out knows. Ahab's sister. Ahab's sister has grown up and grown out. And she is a stripper who's known to the police. I like that this very concentrated world where everyone kind of knows. Well, yeah, like even Ahab, when he comes in to talk to his sister, has had a relationship with Sleazy Mary, who is (laughs) the manager at the strip bar, the Mm -hmm. Low Life, I guess it's called, Low Life Club, Mm -hmm. something like that. Um, Yeah, Chelsea, though goes by the stage name Lynx, an impeccable stripper. And this is one of my favorite strip bar scenes. And there's a lot of times I roll my eyes, like half the time just automatically when there's a strip bar scene in a horror film because a lot of times it's just for no fucking reason. There's an, there's a great reason because that is where his sister works. So mm-hmm. there's already like reasoning behind having a strip bar in it. And it's actually a pretty realistic strip bar. Yeah. It's badly staffed it's poorly lit the dj sounds bored as fuck and there's hardly anyone in there that's a little more accurate (laughs) compared to what we normally see portrayed in strip bars um and chelsea seems to really have moves i I really enjoy the scene that they show what her uh stage performance is like Mm -hmm. and her alternate ego links uh it's cool that she has posters of herself and stuff like that i used to like doing graphic design for strippers to do crap like that oh yeah yeah, yeah. for sure she's she's backstage (laughs) amongst her friends one of the funniest scenes is when ahab goes back there and he's looking for chelsea and (laughs) one of the strippers just instantly pulls up a chainsaw i would have liked to see her act <laughs> right? Totally. Better than that girl that like takes skill saws and grinders and has her metal uniform and throws sparks. Oh yeah. yeah I always yeah. found that kind of boring, but I'd like to see this chainsaw girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking yeah. Ahab putting up his hands like he's gonna do some fucking karate chop. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. But the lines again, like when 
Chelsea right away says, that's my brother. She's like, you have a brother? No one tells me anything. Mm -hmm. And it's like a lame line. It's a super lame line. But the way that it's delivered and the way that they just clip along with the Mm storyline, it's impeccable. And on one hand, it almost doesn't matter what they're saying Mm -hmm. because the acting and the lighting and everything together, you can just roll with it. Mm -hmm. But if you're paying attention to everything they're saying, it becomes so much more rich. Yeah. Yeah, and all of these characters are really lovable. I, I really dig these conversations. And we basically find out that Ahab and Chelsea, when Ahab ended up killing the wrong person, he got put away for about 10 years. And Well, like you do. I guess like like you do. People. Chelsea left, has a lot of resentment for that. And we also find out that Chelsea on her own has been hunting the fuckmen and is doing a lot more actual in-depth research as opposed to ready fire aim attitude that ahab seems to have you know, like she says picking up the breadcrumbs that the police drop yeah exactly because even the police are baffled i know she's pretty pissed she is super pissed she's played by amy granning which mm. she's uh the dispatch the voice of dispatcher in the void which is cute that you know like the oh. horror community and like the people in the low life club everyone just sort of sticks together mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah, so Ahab gets pissed, and he actually tells John to take him back to the airport. And I like this scene, not only for the conversation that happens after, but yeah. just him stomping back into the car and being like, take me to the airport. And not only because the priest is singing hymns in the car. It's like one in the morning, probably. Well, they said it was midnight, so it's got to be close to one in the morning. And there's this priest sitting in a car outside of, strip bugs, outside of a strip bar singing hymns practicing him oh my god that's hilarious <laughs> but such a like a fatal hero he's just like take me back to the airport mm-hmm. and then they have this conversation because father john is convinced chelsea's just mad give her time which is an absurd line an absolutely absurd line because he has no idea what their history is like what they're he's going never met her. he's never met her he wasn't there for that conversation but we'll roll with it because we're going to the next set of absurd lines Ahab starts having this conversation, which sounds like a metaphor, where Ahab works, works. He lives in this sugar shack out in the middle of nowhere, North Bay, let's just say. It seems like North Bay. And he taps trees for syrup, and he makes maple syrup. And so he starts talking about, I... All my effort, all this, all me out there by myself, I made some of the sweetest syrup you ever made or you ever tasted. But if you leave it alone, it starts to ferment and stagnate. And I made some of the sweetest syrups you can imagine, John. And it's very seriously delivered. Yeah. Too, and, like. and But even so, it almost sounds like a drunk guy's conversation where you'd just be listening to someone talk and you would think to yourself, what the fuck are you talking about? And sure enough... When Father John starts to interpret what Ahab's words might oh, be. So Chelsea is like that syrup that is left to ferment. And it's, she's lost her goodness in the time that has passed while you were away. Yeah. Is that what you mean? And Ahab's reaction, without missing a beat, is so fucking perfect. Like, what? Well, oh, you mean you're like the tree. I, how am I a tree? And and he gets genuinely offended so much so that my original review of Father's Day, one of the lines from this conversation is at the end of it when they finally when they finally find common ground because Ahab's saying, "So you're saying that I said I was a tree?" And and then John says, "In a manner of speaking, it could be interpreted that way that you, that you're the wise old tree." And then he stops and just looks out the window and he says, "One more thing, you don't." call a man a tree 
And I thought that line was so fucking hilarious. I still do. I was howling laughter when I'm listening to this conversation. And it's so fucking perfect because, again, it goes to show you that Ahab was just talking nonsense. He's just apparently... Yeah, and like, like he even says, he's like, I was thinking about all the syrup that I have that is fermenting right now at home. I need to get back to it. Yeah, he's just talking about syrup. It has nothing to do with the current situation at all. But it ends with that you don't call a man a tree, which could be... You know, if you weren't listening, if you had the volume down, you would think you're watching some hyper-serious fucking anti-hero <laughs> vendetta film. Yeah. And he could have said absolutely anything, but, you know, they penciled in. <laughs> you don't call a man a tree. <laughs> I, know. I know. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's fucking yeah. great. It's intense. It's a really intense scene. And it happens. There's even a cutaway during that to the cops that are surveilling them, which is kind of hilarious that that conversation goes on for so fucking long. Yeah. But at the end of it... The priest is like, well, I'll drive it to the airport. He's like, no, take me to the hotel. I have a lot to think about. Probably about how he's a tree and his sister's fermenting syrup or whatever. But Mm -hmm. yeah, they all do decide to team up. They do amongst tragedy, though, because we find out that Walnut and Twink, after Twink realizes that his father's been murdered and he's completely devastated, he goes with Walnut and runs into Chelsea. Chelsea knows Twink. You know, they're all kind of in the same circle, I guess. Well, yeah, he's a prostitute, probably gives blowjobs in the back alley behind her strip bar. Yeah, and exactly. Pro- they probably grew up together. It's a small town. Like, really, yeah. I think it's, it's fucking North Bay. Right? It's, it's just North Bay. North this Bay, is- Manitoba, though. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then also, Father John, after being sent on this mission by Father O'Flynn, Ahab's surrogate father, we find out that the fuckman has killed the uh, father of Flynn. Uh, Ahab and Father John don't know this just yet. And also now when Chelsea and Twink have teamed up with Walnut, they go to Chelsea's apartment because Twink doesn't feel safe. And Chelsea has all this information. And so in this scene, we find out that Walnut has recently gotten one of his lady friends pregnant. You put it so nicely. You put it so nicely because he's just like... I'm a romantic at heart. That bitch called me and said she was knocked up, basically. Like, Bas- yeah, and, and he does... about it, but... Yeah. Like, Michael fucking Myers, zooming past the screen, you would never notice him. You wouldn't even... You would think, oh, was that Twink or was... That wasn't Chelsea, but oh, was that Twink or something? And no, all of a sudden, Walnut's just getting his throat bit out and then his dick bit off. Yeah. Yeah, and it's quite gruesome. Mm-hmm. And it's not like there's the the chainsaw death is pretty quick and like not as gory. The the throat gnawing I found quite gory. It's very and gory. The they cock s- being bitten off. Well, they is, stick on that. Yeah, really, really long, and I, I enjoy that they're not just cutting away or alluding to the fact that he got his dick bit off. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the lighting is really intense. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like. The red lighting doesn't wash the blood away, which is a lot of time what it's used for. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't, though. Yeah. It even, has the opposite effect. It, it's, it even look more gory than it is. Yeah, it's even gorier than in the, the only other dick trauma scene. Well, not the only other dick trauma scene that I can think of, but one of the another modern day grindhouse-like dick trauma scene that I could think of is in Tokyo Gore Police, where... Uh, a guy is at the sex the sex house and he gets his dick bitten off. Even, but even that is cartoonish in its geyser of blood coming out of the guy's dick. And it looks very, very fake. This 
I mean, you linger on it. I mean, obviously you can tell it's special effects, but at the same time, I mean, they show the teeth going in, they show the gnawing and the ripping, they 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 show the blood coming out. It's not just a quick cut geyser of blood where the crotch might be, and so you get the implication of what has happened. This is Oh, we'll spell it out. We're going to spend a good 30, 40 seconds letting you know what's happening in this scene right now. No, exactly. It's not, you're not going to sit back and go like, did he just get his dick bit off? Unless you had your hands over your eyes. But it's doubly funny because Chelsea had moments before said she was going to turn Walnut's dick into a kielbasa. Mm-hmm. So, ha, 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 ha. It's true. And also, Chelsea tries to light this fucking guy up. She shoots him yeah. straight up, point She's blank. She's been hunting the fuckman as ardently as her brother has all this time. Mm-hmm. Like, don't forget, he killed her fucking dad too, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she tries. But but this is And this is where you start asking yourself, what the hell is going on? She shot that guy. And... He's not even slowed down. How did he even get in the apartment? Yeah, you know? where did he come from? How did he know that that guy's... A fa- How does he know that this person is a father? The He's only... this His girlfriend or lady friend or whomever, bitch, yeah. hasn't even <laughs> given birth yet. No, exactly. She just said that she was pregnant. So he's just a new father and had just admitted it. So it's like his spidey sense was tingling. Was he crouched on the roof listening at the window or something? I know. It makes you wonder what the fuck is going on. And then just as it happens, Ahab is showing up to have another conversation with his sister to reconcile of some sort. And he busts in and this is where they have a conversation. All three of them sitting down at this gore-fueled table. We don't know what where Walnut's body is, but his blood is ever present all over that fucking table. And they're talking and Chelsea uh, now saying, okay, we, we, you got to let me in on this. We have to fucking do this. Ahab's doing the old, no, you're my sister. You can't be in danger. Twink's attitude is... I love that because he's like, I'm going to do this alone. And Twink's like, I'm coming too. And he's like, okay. Yeah, yeah. And because, I mean, <laughs> Twink is in the position where his father has just been killed. His other support system, his best friend slash pimp has now been killed. Chelsea's really the only other friend that he has anymore. Yeah. And so he is in, in it to win it's it. It's like Avengers Assemble, where they all agree that the three of them are going to work together to kill... Buckman. Mm-hmm. And then there's a knock at the door. Yeah. Because it's the cops. It's the cops, yeah. And so now Chelsea is going to use her wiles to distract the police officer while they get the fuck out of Dodge. Now, meanwhile, this is where Father John, who now knows that his father figure, Father O'Flynn, is now dead. How do we know this? Because he got himself a nice little package in the mail. Father O'Flynn's head. Yeah. Lovely stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... So now we are going to get this fucking group together, but oh, fuck, the strip club gets ransacked. Yeah, which made me kind of sad. And if you want to second guess like the fuckman entirely, no one there was a dad. Mm-hmm. He's just being an asshole now. Now he's sort of like calling out the Avengers, as it were. Mm-hmm. It's like these four people who he's totally wronged and killed everyone that they held dear. He's just going to like, you know, put salt in their wounds by going to her workplace and killing strippers. but Killing her friends, killing Sleazy Mary. Mm -hmm. And this is where we have Chelsea. I love this scene because Chelsea's wearing just big old canners. Very reminds of canners. Yeah, big old canners, big old headphones. It's very reminiscent of the Tracy Lord's porn New Wave Hookers. Mm -hmm. They have great big headphones on like that. Very similar anyway. Um... Yeah, she's painting her toenails. Her her chainsaw friend is fighting Fuckman. Yeah, right behind them, which is hilarious that she doesn't notice, but whatever. <laughs> this at least affords 
two of like my favorite scenes like as far as lighting and the cinematography in this film go and things that to me say grindhouse more so than 90 percent of the film mm-hmm. and no one else would ever have to agree with me just visually i really enjoy these two scenes because um not just the girl getting her head chainsawed in half which is pretty cool too but when chelsea gets knocked to the floor by fuckman and she's turning her head super slowly and there's blood streaming like from her nose. I just love the visuals of that mm-hmm. entirely. And she's like turning to see if she can't reach the gun before he knocks her out and kidnaps her entirely. It's just a very pretty scene and something that I would just like want to watch over and over again. Also later, Sleazy Mary with blood just being coughed out of her mouth and blood all over and she's dying, fading fast as it were, and demands that Ahab kisses her and mm-hmm. then she'll tell him where Fuckman took Chelsea. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's pretty fucking funny. And especially since Ahab doesn't want to kiss her, he's like, Oh, gross. You're dying. Ew, why would I want to do that? Yeah, and then he leans in, doesn't kiss her, and says, There, there, I kissed you. And she says, You didn't even touch me. He's like, Oh no, 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 I did. It's just you probably didn't feel it because you're dying. best lines ever but all the while being filmed under this perfectly balanced light that says at the same time strip club and end of life with this wonderful amount of smoke in the background that you're not just thinking like oh they're trying to create some sort of ambience no it looks pretty believable the amount of like steam that would be rising from this hot city night where these yeah. scorned lovers have their final kiss oh, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> but it's just filmed in that tone entirely. And they, they fucking nail it with lines like, you probably can't feel it because you're dying and stuff. <laughs> and like, then even, even then when, <laughs> even then when he's about to leave the scene and she asks him as she's dying, did you ever take us seriously? He doesn't answer, and then I think Father John or, or or Twink points that out, and then he says something along the lines, there's no point, she's already gone. And then she's not dead yet at all. Like She's clearly not dead because her hand manages the strength to flip him off as he's walking out the front door. That's hilarious. And then also, really subtly, is when Father John finally joins the troop officially, it's a fucking hilarious scene that I think about Constantly. Oh, really? I think about this scene constantly. You have Ahab and Twink with their shirts off doing target practice. So they're just trying to shoot cans off a fucking fence. And they're just sitting there raising their guns, firing off, sitting there raising their guns, firing off, hitting nothing. Yeah, the cans are not even wiggling. And it's such, it's a nothing scene, but holy fuck, do I find this hilarious. And I thought about, I think about that scene constantly. I don't know why. It's like some scenes stick in my head. Like sometimes I'm thinking about this scene. Sometimes I'm thinking about everyone getting sucked out the back of the plane in that movie alive. I don't know why. It's just. It's a testament to their impeccable acting skills because they look pretty hardcore and determined. That's that's the thing. They're They're just hitting nothing. Like shirts off, muscles glistening in the fucking Sun firing off their guns. It is like the most macho thing that these guys could be doing. Whiff, 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 hitting nothing. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. Father John tells them that Father O'Flynn is dead and then he's joining them. This is after fucking Father John has had his breakdown while trying to give, I guess, like a makeshift eulogy to the church community where he basically. denies the existence of God, calls him fat and lazy and useless. 
And there's another hilarious line where one of the the parishioners are, let's tear this place apart, which is another fucking line that I love. Like, I'm telling you, man, this movie is crapping hilarious line after hilarious line. And it's not... It's all deadpan. Yeah, it's so fucking deadpan. A lot of the whole, like, his uh, Father John's scene um, where he's in the church having his rant and he's talking about, where's God? Is he under this podium? I'm God. I'm just sitting on my big fat ass. And then he has a very serious, like almost mic drop moment where he's like, look, no lightning. And it's like serious as a heart attack, as you yeah. say. And he seems to be like really losing his fucking mind. He's having a total personality break right there. Yeah, a crisis of faith. Yeah, completely. And it's translated very, very well. Mm. But in a ridiculous circumstance because yeah. right away he hightails it off into the bush with yeah. his gun and <laughs> yeah. proves that he's a crack shot. Oh, man, because he just blows those cans away like crazy. And yeah. so you think that this troop is going to be him and Twink and Ahab and Chelsea. But we find out that Chelsea has been taken and Chelsea has been taken in a white van and headed east. I don't know how Mary knew all that information, but it's irrelevant. She does. And so now they're off trying to... It becomes a rescue mission. Yeah, they get in a Jeep and they go off down the highway. Yep. And even Twink's like, how do we know he's out here? And he's like, this is the only way you can get out here. And he's like, this makes no sense, but whatever, here we are. The same thing about... Because when they encounter a white truck, not so much a van, but a white truck, and then Twink says, it's Fuckman. And they say, how do you know? Twink just, just says... Shot in the dark. Yeah, and they had just had that whole conversation. Well, can't you smell him? Can't you smell him? Which is just a fucking stupid. But yeah, um, it's very obviously fucking because Chelsea's struggling in the, in the seat. And they try and do this quite daunting. Twink wants to jump over to the other vehicle to rescue her. And he basically ends up hanging on to the side of the white truck being yeah. dragged along in the dirt, which is hilarious. But then climbs back into the Jeep and says, I didn't get her. Which is hilarious because we saw very clearly that you did not return with Chelsea and how horrible and daunting it was for you when you tried. So then Ahab, being Ahab, is just going to jump into the back of the truck. Mm -hmm. So he gets on the hood of the car and they're Mm -hmm. racing down the road, which is the most dangerous stunt in this fucking film. Oh, my God. I don't care how much practice they have hanging out on hoods of cars, racing down country roads. Mm -hmm. You can kill yourself really easily standing up in the back of a truck that's going 10 kilometers an hour, let alone wanting to jump from the hood of one car to the bed of another truck doing, I don't know how fast they were going. It doesn't look super fast. Fast enough. 50 kilometers an hour. Maybe, yeah. 30, maybe. Somewhere between 30 and 50. Mm-hmm. Um, residential street speed. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it's very, very scary. It doesn't even look too daunting when you're watching it because you watch a lot of action films, right? You see people jump from cars to cars all the time. They just hop, skip, and jump. It's like watching fucking Matrix, man. But it is insane. At 10 kilometers an hour, I like to see a regular bloke try and keep their footing in the back of a truck, let alone the hood of a car. Mm -hmm. It is an insane stunt that they've pulled there. Insane. Knowing, after reading Dave's interview, they had no stunt coordinators whatsoever. They had no backup. The only thing that they had, I guess, is Canadian health insurance. Yeah, they had that. Yeah, they had that. Thank God for that, because if something would have gone terribly awry, which it could have, you know, I've jumped from vehicle to vehicle during haying season out in the countryside and i'd like to think that maybe like 
anything, if you do it often enough, or it's like riding a bike, if you've jumped from moving vehicles often, you kind of have your sea legs. Mm -hmm. It's completely different if you've never jumped from moving vehicle before, though. So, yeah. High fives to the guys for pulling this scene off and not killing anybody. Mm-hmm. And for making it look pretty fucking flawless. He doesn't look too scared up there. Scared enough mm-hmm. that you know it's scary, though. I do like that about this scene. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. When this chase is over, Fuckman does get away. And not only that, but their vehicle is fucking totaled, so they got to walk. This is where we're introduced to elements of the Fuckman character that starts to heavily imply some kind of ritual. We've already heard people chanting. Hail the Fuckmanicus. Hail the Fuckmanicus. Hail the Fuckmanicus. And you start thinking, what is that? It's funny enough that this guy's name is Fuckman, but that they have this ancient tome called the Fuckmanicus is... Tone. Tome. Oh, like Toma. Toma. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, That that is when you're starting to okay. This is a lot deeper, and this is why things like Chris Fuckman's been dead for thirty years. It's like, well, obviously not, because we see Fuckman killing these fathers. We've seen it, you know, as far as we're an authority from the couch. But okay, he's a supernatural creature. That explains why he could kill Walnut as deftly as he did. And Chelsea shot him. Yeah. She shot him and it didn't do anything. Yeah. So we are definitely being encountered to some strange things. And also, this is where we're wondering, why did he invade Chelsea's workplace, kill all those people, and take Chelsea? He's never taken prisoners before. It's certainly not anyone that he wasn't just going to fuck and then kill. Well, yeah. And the closest thing that he he did to, like... Leaving someone behind, too, is uh, when he cut Ahab's eye in half for Mm. what he'd seen, which is just weird. Why didn't he just kill him? If he's going to kill a bunch of strippers that aren't really even in the way, why didn't he kill those kids? Mm -hmm. Like, he's just too deep of a character. Yeah. When they finally track down Fuckman, Fuckman's already done these bizarre rituals. You see Fuckman cutting his finger off. You see Fuckman has already removed one of his ears. You see that he has... He's injecting his dick with some sort of serum. I'm not exactly sure. I I, I was like, is this saline, man? What are you doing? Giving himself a a sub-incision. And it could, I don't know, it's colored differently. It could be saline. Like, who knows what he's injecting his dick with. But I think the whole point, and saline is a really good candidate for this, is to make his dick girthier to inflict more pain on the men he's raping. Mm -hmm. Because a sub-incision, if you're interested in sub-incisions, there's a a BME magazine has a good article, J story of a Mm sub-incision, about slicing your cock. And the aboriginals do this as well. It's a rite of passage. Uh, Maybe not to the extent that is done in the body modification world, but it does have the effect of making the penis much girthier. And that's when one thing i was thinking he's not just bloodletting from his dick i think that he is actively trying to increase the girth yeah and as he's walking towards chelsea she has a great line where she says if you put bring that thing near me i'm gonna bite it off and the way the energy and the vitriol that she says bite it off i i think to myself that is very authentic i think for a I don't doubt for a second that she would bite that no, guy's dick off. No, I don't doubt it either. And I'm afraid for him almost. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd be like, dude, put it away. She'll bite it off. Um, 
but instead he takes blood that he made that he that he bled from himself from his dick and he does something for a forehead puts almost not like so much a cross like a sigil it's something like that yeah glyph of some kind dick Is it glyph. a little dick and balls <laughs> yeah something like that right and so that's the last time we see the character really because now not not the last time we see the character but and we don't really see what's going on until now they find Chelsea. They find Chelsea and she's still chained up and they free her and she's happy to be freed. And we see the three of them, the triumvirate of good, walking out Chelsea. Out of a train tunnel, which I love that scene as well because the train just leaves. And I'll bet you they were all hiding in the dark in that train tunnel when the train went through, mm -hmm. unbeknownst to the train operator at all. And as soon as the train passed, they all like started walking, which I think I think that's how that scene Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's um, really good guerrilla running gun tactics Yeah, as far as the filmmaking in that particular scene. But um, when they went to rescue Chelsea, they have this like watershed moment of where the movie gets really weird. It's been weird up until this point, but it gets really fucking weird when they go to rescue Chelsea. Really fucking dark. Aside from the ritual, the dick slicing, the the guy who's like a father, i just assuming, that is beaten and bound and bloodied and has a key in his mouth and they have to figure out almost like saw video game level puzzle to get in to rescue her mm. where the, the, they still have the film grain running in the background, but it's a completely different tone for that scene and completely different tone when they're walking out of that tunnel. So when they're walking out of that tunnel and it's not even like going to go like from dark into light and all of that sort of stuff, um, entering into not even the third act. Cause it really, to me feels like first act, second act sort mm -hmm. of film. This is where shit gets really fucking weird. If you thought it was weird up to this point, then mm -hmm. go home <laughs> or stick around because you're going to see the fuckman now it, it, different. He, it, It's weird. There's something about him in this scene that's off. And the, what's off is he doesn't seem to be in control. He seems to be running. He's limping. He seems injured of some kind. And he suffered some injuries that we, we know some of the injuries. looks like a guy that just got hit by a bus. Yeah. He is, is running away. Ahab sees him, drops Chelsea. Very funny. And, and basically runs him down. And shoots him, puts the gun down, grabs another, his little sawed-off shotgun, blasts his guts, guts out. out, and then picks up a brick. And basically, Fuckman's head gets completely fucking crushed in. Pulverized. Pulverized. Entirely. Just turned into chili. And then Ahab lifts the body up, chucks it off, and is just feeling super pumped up and jacked. And it's strange because you're wondering... What's different about this time? Why w Fuckman seemed so vulnerable, and and it makes you think something's wrong. So what's up? Yeah, it seems it's way too smooth. Well, Rusty and Chelsea seem way too smooth after getting the key out of the dead guy's mouth or whatever that mm -hmm. was. From then on, it's like this is way too easy, and killing Fuckman was way too easy. Mm -hmm. I, I do love that scene. If if you have a scene that you replay in your mind often, this I replay Ahab's reaction where he's super jacked and yeah. he's like, yeah. Twink's like, that was fucking crazy, and he's like, I know, right? Let's oh. go finish him off. Let's go finish him off. <laughs> finish he goes him off. running away. This to go finish him. This off. dude has a hole in his torso the size of a volleyball now yeah. and no head. Yeah. And you're like, let's go finish him off. <laughs> what the fuck? Well, that's what years of seeking revenge will do to a man. And it's and it almost seems 
anticlimactic. It's even from a viewer's oh, yeah. point of that you're of like, view. that was too easy. They rescued mm-hmm. Chelsea and they killed the fuckman, like really killed him. They killed him good. Mm-hmm. But it only took a few seconds. And now what? You know? Well, now what is that there's a reason why Fuckman was so easy to kill. We're treated to a montage where I think is actually a lot more poignant than people might realize because I'm sure you realize it, but maybe someone watching this casually wouldn't realize. It's this idea of what do you do in a revenge story? What happens when the characters get revenge? Credits, right? Yeah. But then you ask yourself, what now with that character? We see in... Um, I spit on your grave. Just driving a boat, maniacally laughing. What's left for this character? I don't know. Kill Bill, driving off in the sunset with her daughter. What happens next? Well, we find, we find in this case, what you get after revenge is characters that don't know what to do with themselves. Characters that twink in the shower who am I written on the wall trying to get laid by women who are saying, no, you're definitely gay. And Ahab lost in the grocery store, contemplating everything, contemplating everything. Because if you've been living your whole life for revenge, you take that revenge in your mind successfully. You, all of that energy now has no place to go. And like child stars. Yeah, sure. (laughs) And, and and uh, Father John now, not knowing what to do, they basically say he has he can go back to the church after his outburst, but he has to handle Father O'Flynn's affairs charitably and uh, you know repent and self contemplation, and that's what's left for these characters, and it's all mopey and sad for a little while. But I dig it, I like it, and it's almost a warning: be careful about ha- being a person who lives through. Focusing on an object of hate, because once that object goes away, you'll find that there's not much left of you. Or focusing on anything too much outside of yourself, too. I mean, Ahab probably would have been a lot better person, whether he got Fuckman or not, if he'd have just focused on his syrup. Yeah, he seemed he seemed happy, in a way. Yeah. Especially, a lot happier than he is right now. Yeah, because he, he did it, and they just feel left with nothing. Meanwhile, Chelsea is in the hospital, but she awakes. Yeah, when they're all, they end up reading through this tome, tome. Yeah, that Father O'Flynn had in his room under his bed. Yeah, he knew more about the fuckman than anyone knew. Yeah, before he went blind, he was reading about what the fuckman is. And what the fuckman is, is a demon. Mm -hmm. It is a demon. This book is the fuckmanicus. There are cult members that worship this thing we notice astron six you know the void too there's a lot of satanic culty stuff i wouldn't the void's not satanic but there's culty stuff they seem to like cults i dig it and so here we have people cladded in robes and chanting fuck manicus and praise the fuck manicus is hilarious and great and here comes chelsea coming to the door of Ahab's hotel room. Oh, while well, he's on the phone with John. And Father John's like, don't answer that door. And he's like, hang on, there's someone at the door. What are you doing on the phone? <laughs> <laughs> Sleeping on a poster of, of Chelsea. Yeah, which is kind of cute. It's pretty know? cute. Yeah. Kind of cute how infatuated he is with his sister of all people. His sister of all people. She's very beautiful. So this is where we get into the incest part of our show. Man, do we ever, because she comes there with an agenda. Well, the guys know on the other end of the phone that Ahab conveniently hung up uh, that 
she is now the new host for Fuckman. Mm-hmm. And she is going to use her feminine wiles to have sex with Ahab. And he relents very quickly. Fairly quickly. He does kiss her and then is grossed out for 4.2 seconds saying like, you're my sister. But that ends. And they have what is actually a super hot sex scene. Yeah. A very hot sex scene. It lasts a while. And 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 you just... It's not just, oh yeah, I just very quickly had sex with my sister. Man, it looks like they were fucking for a bit. And I think the only other one that rivals it for sister fucking is Joe Dirt. But, yeah. But like, they've hit the top 10 ways to turn them on positions that would be featured in your monthly Cosmopolitan magazine. So it is a very, very hot sex scene. Even though... Chelsea is very obviously possessed. Yeah, and she's it's got, almost a little terrifying. She's got black eyes when when she's not looking at him. She's got these black eyes, and then when he's uh, when they're doing it doggy style, he fucking she turns into Buckman. Buckman. Yeah, and then he sort of shakes it off, and then when she's going to town on him, he starts noticing that there's cult members and you can hear the chanting and he can hear, like, hear so the maybe chanting. that's not as hot like it's still pretty hot yeah. but like there are cloaked chanting cult members surrounding them with swords drawn mm-hmm. all of a sudden so that's like maybe not so hot but luckily father john and twink bust in and light the place up as you would say I, oh that, man i this love is lighting a place up yeah? <laughs> this is lighting the place up father john has a an Uzi or something. Where did you get this gun? It's got fucking lights on it and shit. It looks like a video game gun. Twink ha- is just busting out twin Glocks and they're, f- they're, okay, there's three cult members in this room <laughs> and they're shooting one until they're out of bullets. It's fucking hilarious. Which is hilarious because we know that Father John is a crack shot and yeah. they just shoot the one guy. 60 times it looks yeah. like. And sure enough, there's two other cult members in there. One of them gets taken out. Yeah, Twink shoots him right in the eye. Right in the fucking eye. Like almost a point blank range, too. It's pretty cool. It's a good effect. And shoots him again, and then the whole top of his head just blows off. Which is a really And then good one of the cult members cries out. Mark! Yeah. Oh, oh you were so beautiful. Which and, is hilarious. And then removes his hood. And who do we got? Who's that? Fucking Steagle. That's right. It's the cop. And then you start realizing maybe this is why the police officers have been so inept at finding Fuckman for 30 years and why this guy is so quick to deny that Fuckman ever even really existed. It's been too long. Why he set Ahab up into killing Cummings. That's right. Because this person that Ahab thought was Fuckman, who was just an innocent father who had a gun duct taped to his hand, was all manipulated by this police officer so that they can impregnate chelsea with ahab's sperm to create the most potent fuckman yet it's true and and that's what this is every generation a new person is possessed and becomes this i suppose this human representation of the fuckmanicus demon on earth fuckman the demon and so you would then you start to think well wait a second after this ritual was take it was taken care of that means that fuckman was in chelsea that means whoever this fuckman was before he got possessed was probably who ahab killed exactly that poor man that looked like he got hit by a bus yeah he yeah. He, he probably he wasn't fuckman anymore. He, he probably has he was just chris fuckman yeah he probably has no idea Mashed where potato man of the unfortunate where where he was or what he was doing no. not knowing that decades have passed all the horrible things that he's done and 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 that's how come he died so easily and now after now chelsea 
surrounded by lightning and energy and demonic forces. Crazy black eyes. Crazy black eyes says, with your seed in me, I will create the strongest fuckman of this generation ever. And then she vanishes into thin air. And then we're kind of left with our three heroes sitting on the bed. And they're trying to get Ahab to admit that he boned his sister. Well, what did you do? Fuck off. We didn't fuck but, off. Yeah, you know? you just, I just watched, watched something. We just talked. And, and, and they say, okay, well, if you had, if you're telling us that you had a nice platonic evening with your sister, then I guess we got nothing to worry about. Pat, pat, pat on the shoulder. And then he says, well, maybe we uh, fooled around a little. Yeah, which and, is so, like, the scene is really great because they've got um, the manual right there, basically. They've got this tome, yeah, tome to explain how she would definitely try to seduce him. Mm-hmm. And they're like, are you sure, you know? Yeah, and then and then he's, uh, well, I mean, well, you know, maybe, well, you know, she, uh, I was drunk, man. I was blackout drunk. drunk. Yeah, I don't remember I, anything. I can't remember anything. And, and, and you've seen her. <laughs> and... Also blames the fact that it was like a telekinetic mind fuck. That's the best. Where yeah. he he starts to he starts to concoct this stupid idea that she mind controlled him into having sex with her, and then Father John points out that he's read this tome and there doesn't seem to be anything in here. And then he says, "No, no, no I'm sure it's in there somewhere." And then Father John says, "Well, maybe it's open to interpretation." He's like, "Yeah, see, exactly, exactly." Which is amazingly accurate, considering twice now I think they've really dialed in Father John's character. Mm-hmm. And it seems like I'm giving this like way too much like critical thought. Mm-hmm. But twice, Father John really understands the power of a parable. Mm-hmm. And when he's talking about how a man can be like a tree mm-hmm. and Chelsea can be like fermented syrup. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this, the stories of Jesus as when Jesus was a teacher in all of his parables and parables of the saints. That he does look to metaphor like mm. many people do in the Bible because it is open to interpretation. So he's sitting there with this uh, fuck magus mm-hmm. and reading through saying that, well, I guess it's open to interpretation. Like it's really dialed in quite the thing that a priest would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes me wonder if any of them are Catholic schoolboys. I'd wonder. Yeah, and then twink, twink busts in with the line, uh, I got to go feed my cat. So I got gas money. Can we just go feed my cats real quick? <laughs> Which I swear to God, that line is not in the script whatsoever. It's, it just seems too organic. It's so authentic sounding too. Yeah. I've definitely known people that have had to, we've needed to alternate, deviate plans because someone needs to feed their fucking cat. Totally. It's very, very natural. Or also when you're filming and the scene is over, when you really get into the grind house that making a film is... You know, like, it's just like you had to stop watching the movie to take a poop and you come back and you continue watching the movie. So they're doing the scene, scene's over. He claps his hands and says, change topic. Because <laughs> you do just change on a dime. As soon as that clapperboard goes, you're just sort of like, okay, anyway, so what was I saying before we started this scene a half hour ago? Mm-hmm. So I re- it really feels so, like, on set to me. Yeah. And yeah. so this is what the fucking deal with this shit is, gang. If you are not convinced that this is a buck wild romp, they got to go to hell. Yeah. That is their interpretation of what they have to do. They have to go to hell to combat this fuckman demon and bring Chelsea back. How do you go to hell? Well, 
If you are a religious person, it is a common belief that if you were to take your own life, your soul is damned. And so killing yourself ought to get you to hell pretty good. Yeah, mm-hmm. that seems like the easiest way. Better shoot themselves in the face because that's also the easiest way too, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we have our three characters, lovable losers. I fucking love these guys. Sitting at this table trying to come up with the courage of the gumption to shoot themselves. I figure out who goes first or should we all shoot each other or like... Yeah, and then sure enough, just pop. Ahab just blows his own fucking brains out and it's a mess. It's super gory. Yeah. And and then it becomes the fact of Twink, does Twink go? Does Father John go next or whatever? Meanwhile, we have this goddamn acid trip journey into hell with Ahab floating through fucking space. His jacket that he's lost previously in the fucking movie flies up next to him. Hello, Ahab. Remember me? Fucking, I'm losing it. I'm laughing so fucking hard at this goddamn scene. And and then, boom, he's in hell. And Meanwhile, what do we have here for hell? What is their interpretation of hell? It's this weird sort of stop motion. Almost like Tim Burton-esque. Tim Burton-esque, very cheap. Lydia mom would have designed it. Yeah, but it has like a very uh, Flesh Gordon type look to the stop motion. Very much. Right? And just cheap in 70s and 80s. And by the way, this entire picture is framed as a late night TV uh, oh, complete with an ad and everything, an intro and outro. Yeah, for there's there's Star Raiders and then there's Sexy Beach that's coming on at 5 a.m. and uh, Star Raiders. There's a commercial for it. So we've seen some of this stop motion before. And so we're used to all of these bumpers and fake commercials and shit that are going on in this film. And so by the time we get Ahab down into hell, which is a weird trip, Twink follows him. Father John goes to heaven. Quite naturally. Exactly. I don't know. Heaven's kind of hellish too because you could never leave. And Lloyd yeah. Kaufman's there, which is like... Yeah, Lloyd Kaufman is there. Kaufman as God, which I'm sure makes him very happy. Yeah. And well, he also plays the devil too, so he that does. makes him equally happy. Yeah. I know the the scene in how where they seem to have a lot of like... Hell's trying to like tear them down mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, where... Twink has his confrontation with his dead father, because uh, all the dead are in hell, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, except the priests, they all end up in heaven. I guess that's all the only people with, that with, end up with priests and strippers, to- topless yeah. beauties. Yeah. That's the only people that end up in heaven. But of course, everyone else ends up in hell. But the "cry for me" scene—it's a—it's a speech that I'll just call the "cry for me" speech—is really anger-making and really touching and just really an amazing little piece of dialogue that comes out of Twink's dead father Mm -hmm. and extremely dark. Yeah, very dark, saying, revealing that their mother hung herself and if only he had the balls to kill himself so he would never have to look and Fuckman did me a favor because now I never have to look at you again and if only I had the balls to kill myself when your mother did or only if I had the balls to smother you in your crib. I wouldn't have to look at the homo that killed my wife. Yeah, wow, wow, wow. Heavy. And he has an interaction with Walnut who professes that he loved him. We get a beautiful uh, man-on-man kiss Mm -hmm. so that turns into kiss the corpse which is Mm -hmm. always my favorite trick in horror where you go to kiss the person you love and you back Mm -hmm. up and they're dead and that is like all this awesome stuff happens in hell not only does he have get his jacket back but like we get to see bill cummings have a a bit of a revelation as a really 
destroyed this, corpse. Yeah, it destroyed his face. Is fucked up. This is very Lynchian. In it, I always, it, it really reminds me of that dream sequence in Twin Peaks. People are speaking muffled. Well, there's a there's an the, instance in the dream sequence earlier when they're all drugged by uh, special berries mm-hmm. in the forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chelsea has a very you know almost like David Lynch, but more like Simpsons. Yeah, uh, this suit burns better look kind of. Yeah moment mm-hmm. which is interesting she is amy graining and i'm assuming maybe related to matt graining i don't know <laughs> it would be cool if she was because she got to say that some simpsonish lines right yeah. but yeah she's marrying fuckman in this sequence in hell anyway mm-hmm. which i want to call a dream sequence because that's what it feels like but it's just what the world is like in hell i suppose if i yeah. believe anything fiction has to tell me about hell yeah and meanwhile father John is up there basically putting a gun to an angel's face, trying to demand that he is brought down to hell because he needs to help his friends. This speech with Bill Cummings in this wedding area where you have the cop and the like the the the, pre, the the followers of the fuck manicus and you see fuckmen as this huge bloated demon. It's really great practical effects. I love it. Throne. Huge I throne. Really it, love it, that. It's really crazy. Um Chelsea is chained to the throne almost like Princess Leia in Return of the Jedi. It's that kind of vibe. And the the speech that Bill Cummings says, first of all, it, it's all through translation because his mouth is so fucked up from the the buckshot that he got to the face that he can't really speak in an interpretive way. He's just like kind of garbled. And, but and, Ahab can understand him, so we're subtitled. And he says that there's a lot of time here to get used to watching the world go on without us. And it's I love this this speech because he the hell the torment of Bill Cummings is watching his wife move on marry someone else have someone else's baby like spawn yeah and and yeah exactly it's very al simmons and that would be someone's interpretation of hell finding out that once you die the world just keeps on moving and it really calls into question the relevance of our own existence there's some deep fucking things happening in these scenes which i really want people to say watch father's day turn your brain off and just enjoy the ride no don't turn your hopefully they get scared away in the first 10 minutes with all the fucking anal rape but but you don't have to turn your brain off there are some deeply philosophical questions being poised in the hell sequence from all comers right and there is some damn fine writing happening in these scenes. And then Ahab pukes his guts out, which I said, I really always want to know what that looks like to people. And they do a Mm -hmm. very good job of him actually puking his guts out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. wonderful. Absolutely. And then when... (laughs) So Lloyd Kaufman as God and simultaneously the devil is interesting. I mean, for the most part, he's doing what Lloyd Kaufman cameos really always are. They just film him at his desk. He's just sitting at his desk. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's all dressed in white. So, I mean, at least he did some costuming for the fucking part, but it's interesting because father O'Flynn shows up and he's like, get out of here. Father John, this place is horrible. They do horrible things. Lloyd Kaufman, not Lloyd Kaufman, he's a horrible person saying that God is. Basically making you realize that, wow, the priests were wrong about something, but what were they wrong about? Mm -hmm. What is the Catholic Church wrong about that Father O'Flynn now realizes? And so, and it it is also an incredibly high-minded concept that what the, because when you have them in hell and when you realize when, um, (laughs) when Ahab 
fights the fuck Manicus, pukes his guts out. It seems to be in the presence of this vile creature. Its power alone, its power alone it will destroy you. It doesn't have to do anything. This is not Yeah, as soon as you look in its eyes, because yeah. he's like, look me in the eyes! Yeah. As Chelsea's warning him to not look in its eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and and even its followers that praise the fuck Manicus are irrelevant to this creature. Yeah. He will stomp over them and walk over them. This is this is a, a wonderful interpretation of just uh, the blackest, most vilest demon that you could come up with. Just, just so powerful. But... <laughs> They once Father John gets down there and gets instantly bisected by this fucking creature because he's got what does he have? He's got this maple syrup. Yeah, and now maybe you'll take me seriously. And he has the <laughs> Hudson's Bay Company style yeah, yeah. in the maple leaf shaped glass. And I like highly recommend the Hudson's Bay version of the syrup. There's lots of different grades of syrup mm-hmm. in this country, let alone this planet, because mm-hmm. there's maple syrup. I, like, I didn't know this. That they can get maple syrup outside of Canada. I didn't yeah, know that I know, until right? I was in my teens. Um, but yeah, it's grades everywhere. My sister makes maple syrup. It's a great maple syrup. And it's a very, like, it's a good high-grade maple syrup. I've had some very thin syrups. I've had some syrups that are tapped too high up in the tree. Like, when you see at the beginning Ahab putting not the right kind of tap into the wrong kind of tree, mm-hmm. he's just simply tapping it way too high. That's not going to be a sweet syrup. But the Hudson Bay Company sells these particular bottles with a good syrup in it. Because you could go to any, you know, little store that sells maple syrup and buy this, but it might not be good. Mm -hmm. So you're looking for, like, a good high-grade syrup. Um, If I were to ever have any Father's Day memorabilia, I might go to the Hudson's Bay Company and buy one of these, like, $7 bottles of syrup and get it autographed. (laughs) That'd be fun. And... But it's at, like holy water to the fuckman. Yeah, it really is. Maybe and this it, is why Ahab made syrup all of his life. Maybe this is why my sister makes syrup and why I still have a dad. They're they're demon hunters. But the, the other funny thing that that Ahab does is is you know Ahab when he's gearing up to go to war to leave this sugar shack he brings his tap with him it's in his boot like a little gun or something yeah yeah like it's a Bowie knife yeah exactly it's fucking hilarious he brings his toxic berries which the guys chow down on for some reason just and then and then brings his guns of course and then brings his tap and then when he's down in hell with the tap it's still there and Father John gets bisected and then who shows up. Fucking sleazy Mary. Yeah. And then she does the exact same pun, syrup solicly. I can't even say it. Syriopsly. Syriopsly. And <laughs> hits Fuckman Demon in the face. And then it basically just like makes him shrink down. And then Chelsea, coming out of nowhere, grabs that tap from Ahab's boot. Ahab can't even fucking move. Mm-hmm. And friggin' hits Ahab, uh, sorry, hits the, the fuckman demon with it, turns like on the tap. Oh, yeah, and then just drains the rest of it. And then the fuckman thing turns into this gross little fucking fetus, this little baby It's thing. a little baby, and it's squalling and bawling like a baby, so Chelsea stomps it to death under her boots. Oh, my God, and she just much. stomps and stomps and stomps, and you're like, yeah, fuck yeah. Which is hilarious, because, like, moments later when she's going back to Earth, because her body's still on her. She's still fine, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. so she gets out of hell. She just gets out of hell free ticket as it mm-hmm. were uh so when she's like dissolving and 
Father John's like, get an abortion. I'm thinking like, she sort of just did. Like, I bet you when she wakes up in the hospital, she will have spontaneously aborted because she just stomped a baby to death in hell. Yeah. I mean, that's basically abortion right Yeah, there. and that's basically what the fuckman truly is, is a baby to be reborn in her so he can be reborn on Earth. Yeah. The idea of a high-level demon finding a back door, if you will, into existing on Earth because technically speaking, a demon that powerful would not have access to Earth. Yeah. But... So that's how they kind of get around it. And, of course, they see Twink, who who got sucked beneath the hellish grounds earlier through a bunch of, like, hands, almost like in fucking Army of Darkness. But uh, And now he's part of this plateau of gore on the wall along with Ahab's jacket. And they seem to be okay. The nice thing about hell seems to be that you can get damaged and fucked up, but you're not actually going to die because, hey, you're already dead. I mean, they seem they try to get out of hell by, let's just shoot ourselves again. And so Ahab tries to blow his own brains out. It hurts. Man, does it hurt. Yeah. But he's still there. And then they try to hope really hard. What if we hope really hard? Hope. And so they like hope, 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 hope. And they're all hoping. And it just cuts they're to... It just cuts to their fucking dead bodies, flies around them. They look horrible. They look like they're rotting. The cat's about to have a meal. Yeah, the cat's about to gnaw on them. And that's how we leave. We know Chelsea's body is... Chelsea's going to be okay. But these three dudes, we don't know how they're going to get out of this one, if they're ever going to. I'm but curious about who finds their bodies. Yeah, it's probably Chelsea. When she gets out of the hospital, she'll know that... Because I think they're at Twink's apartment yeah, if the cats are. are there. The The funny thing is that beforehand, they you see... Lloyd Kaufman show back up and we also get the sense that from Father John and uh, Sleazy Mary and everybody that's down there yeah he is also the devil and Lloyd Kaufman's character of, of God slash the devil says that it's 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 better to have a sense of competition just for whatever reason and then they say well we we destroyed the fuckman and he's like oh yeah good job good job very indifferent to it right mm-hmm. and again this is this very interesting high-minded thing that i first encountered as a teenager when i read the book good omen it's a terry pratchett neil gaiman venture and the i and the, the line from that i think i've mentioned on the show before but the line from that that i'll never forget was everyone envisions heaven and hell as this cosmic game of chess but if you were to believe the ineffable plan of god if that is something that you buy into then that means the fall of lucifer the war in heaven heaven and hell has to be part of the same plan which means that there's no cosmic game of chess it's solitaire and only one person's playing and that is the person controlling all of our fate that's in this fucking movie that's lloyd kaufman yeah as, that's lloyd kaufman and so again don't turn your brain off and watch these things and it's also sort of like telling and very odd that he has lines like it's all about business when you learn about just the way that Troma treated the release yeah. of father's mm-hmm. day mm-hmm. yeah it's clearly all business you fucking hack but there he is playing God and the devil all at once, right? It's mm-hmm. horrible in a way when how literal that can be taken mm-hmm. and just how overarching that that can be taken into our myths and people's religion. Yeah, exactly. And and even with with with, with Kaufman, you know, the you know, trauma it, it, trauma you know people are like huge fans of trauma but at the end of the day even as much as they espouse how they are anti-conglomerate and anti-business and how they're true independent film at the end of the day, it is business. Yeah, that's all they care about. That's really all they care about. Yeah. And, that's and, why they don't seem to care so much about what the scripts are, what the content is, or who they cast over and over, or how bad the effects are, or the lighting. 
the location, all those things. They just simply don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, to me, I mean, most people pretty much know my philosophy on the idea of business and commerce and going alongside art. That's the thing about film is it's very difficult to have one without the other. I mean, it definitely happens. happens all the time. Mm-hmm. But it, it's difficult to get those into the hands of the masses. So, I mean, I don't vilify people, but I even think in this case, I mean, it's shitty. But the nice thing is, is the Astron 6 guys didn't get discouraged by this yeah. and are still willing to still create content. And I think Father's Day may not have come, have, may not have done for them what is fair or what they would have wanted. But at the end of the day, they have a film that they can be proud of. And I think that if nothing else, what I would want them to do is, obviously it's a massive learning experience. And I think that they are coming out even as independent, more independent now than they were before, Mm -hmm. especially with films like The Void. But you also got to be careful because how long can you be that person before you turn into the people that you that, hate. That you hate, that right? Hate. Which is, yes. right? So that, that's where you got to be careful. That's, I'm sure at some point, trauma was this, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden they became trauma. And uh, so... Partially yes, partially no. But then other people celebrated them so much. The difference between, of course, there's lots of differences, but the biggest difference between Astron 6 and, and trauma is that Astron 6 isn't taking people under their wing a la Eli Roth or mm-hmm. trauma to help produce other people's films. Yeah, for They're now still... though, it's it's like I don't, who knows what'll be what'll be in thirty years, right? Hopefully, hopefully they don't do that because I'd like to see them make the Astron Six video game that I'm holding up. <laughs> or I'm just gonna hope, 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 hope. <sighs> Cut to <laughs> you dead at a table, cats eating at you. <laughs> Maybe. So what do we got next for them? Coming up next, we have Vamp. And I'm pretty excited. It's not only a request from my heart, but a request from Chris Legrest. So I'm very excited to watch Vamp, which is a very important vampire film from my days as a young horror fan. Um, that's uh, I'm very excited. I haven't seen Vamp in years. Yeah. So we will see. I've only ever seen it afterwards, just in... $2 bins at video stores that, but um, I'm excited because I definitely want to revisit that picture. If you guys ever want us to do a specific movie, you can tweet at me at Wes Dead Air Nipe, or you can tweet at Lydia at Typical Lydia, or you can message us on splatterpictures.net. Some people like to do their requests via our about section on the website. That seems to be where People pop them, but you can literally pop them anywhere or on SoundCloud or iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you would like. Also, the last thing I'd like to mention is I would like to to have a huge thank you to Sandra, who donated to the website. Uh, We caught that donation just the other day, and I definitely wanted to say thank you. It was extraordinarily generous. And if you guys ever want to donate to the show, 100% of everything that you donate goes back into the show. That is gear. That is film. All of that goes to back into the podcast that you want. We can produce more. We can branch off and do more different types of podcasts. And we have more podcasts. I started Panels of Blood. And that's all thanks to you guys. That is all because you guys tell us that you like it and you want more. Um, so yeah, so big thanks to Sandra for that. And that's not something you guys have to do. It's only if you feel like it. Because the podcast will still be coming, no matter what. So if you feel the need that the donation buttons are really the way to go, or just like a note, yeah. I had a, a note from Andrew from Books of Blood the other day, how much he enjoyed hearing about the Horrorville magazine. That made me pretty happy. Also because I really 
enjoy Andrew's reviews as it is, because he writes uh, for his own site. Uh, you can find him at Books of Blood on Twitter and I think booksofblood.com. He used to be a counterpart on the Dead is Hell Horror podcast doing book reviews, so it was really nice to hear from him. And I have a book review that I've written that's coming up probably by the time that this airs. You'll be able to read about the new Andrew Piper novel. He's a Canadian horror author and dark fiction author, and it's called The Only Child, and it is a fascinating read, and I can't wait for it to be released to see what the reception is like on this book so far. The reception is immaculate, and everyone seems to love the hell out of it, but of course it's a lot of horror authors and other horror reviewers that I've heard reviews from, right, and some of the preamble in the book itself. Uh, so yeah, check out nightface.ca for my review of Andrew Piper's The Only Child, and you can also pick up my books there, like Pray Light Eve 2, which has been featured in a couple interviews. I've had two interviews the past couple weeks, so big thanks to Ginger Nuts of Horror. One of my favorite horror websites, actually, uh, has me on there, an interview you can read at Ginger Nuts of Horror, and promotehorror.com, which is a double thank you because Promote Horror has been covering Prelide Eve for the past couple months and sharing, liking, linking people to my book and just a wonderful resource for horror fans. If you're a horror artist of any sort, big or small, definitely check out Promote Horror. Or if you're just a fan, there's a lot of like the more cutting edge news as it is because a lot of independent producers are using Promote Horror uh, as a sounding board. And He's also just a huge horror fan. So it's just a huge, awesome resource for all kinds of horror at Promote Horror. So I really enjoyed that. So triple thanks for that and for being listeners and fans of the show because the interview definitely had questions about the show on the Promote Horror interview, which yeah. made me doubly happy, especially since we're just coming out of our 100th episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else? Yeah, there is actually lots of other stuff. If you're interested in hearing a review of The Void, so you can hear more about Astron 6 and stuff, which we're not going to cover on the show, even though we did just sit down and watch it like the week before watching Father's Day and reviewing Father's Day, you can go over to Bind Torture Cast and episode 170 is all about The Void. So if you want to know more about Astron 6 and listen to my favorite podcast, you can check that out. One of my other hopefully new favorite podcasts, McGarris's new podcast called Postmortem where he interviews filmmakers and he has a really good sit down with Eli Roth and a really good sit down with Rob Zombie. And it's just a very well produced podcast. So it's definitely worth a listen. So yeah, postmortem with Mick Garris. I really hope he continues making podcasts. Like I wouldn't mind if he made more films too, but if he continues making podcasts, I'd be a happy girl because he really has it dialed in and is a horror person interviewing horror filmmakers. So it's a lot more rich of a conversation. Cool, yeah, you guys definitely want to check that out. I don't, and let's not be too hasty about this Patreon thing. We can finally get people pictures of my balls. We can get them pictures of your balls anyway. I'm not just going to shell out pictures of my balls, glossy JPEGs, for anything less than $10 a month. You guys want those JPEGs of my balls. $10 a month, and they're all yours. You can talk to Wes about that, because that will probably be a panels of blood thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. <laughs> That would be basically panels of balls. Panels, panels of balls. It's like the little nooks and crannies of my junk is your gateway to horror comics from yesteryear. Oh my god. I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.